knowledge and application of medicine would always be of secondary importance to the knowledge and application of prayer. Now, a lot of people will accuse me of getting the arrow of causality backwards, right? Science was birthed, after all, in a very religious place during a very religious time. But that all depends on what you're comparing it to. It, it arose actually in a nadir of religiosity if you compare their time only to their past. Their age would seem terribly religious to us regardless of which caused which. And while many, if not most, of the great scientific discoveries were made by theists, that only remains true to the extent that you insist on a binary definition of theism. Consider, too, that science arose at a time when the church had something of a monopoly on education, and even if somebody managed to advance our understanding of the world without submitting to both their indoctrination and their authority, that budding scientist would be subject to condemnation, if not execution. Right? So pointing to priests discovering shit doesn't do you a hell of a lot of good. Survivor's bias can pretty much excuse all of that. Of course, that only explains the priests making discoveries back in the day, right? Like, after all, it's been quite a while since the church has burned a heretic at the stake for heretical geology. And the Big Bang was first proposed by a Catholic priest, right? That's pretty damn sciencey. Hard to argue that he was an atheist. And that tired-ass example actually just reinforces the point in another direction. Because something tells me that Georges Lemaitre wouldn't have been quite as vocal if he'd discovered the opposite, right? That there was no big... Like the, the fact that science happened to line up with his superstitious bits here is not irrelevant. If I predict a downpour every morning, my methods don't get more sound on the days when it rains. In other words, it's kind of hard to imagine a Catholic priest proposing the theory of evolution by natural selection in, say, 1859... Or, or even 1931, for that matter. If fucking George Lemaitre had been a biologist instead of a cosmologist, I doubt very seriously that he'd have had any lasting impact on science at all. Of course, science isn't like all the bullshit it replaced. So it works regardless of what anybody believes. Medicine works regardless of whether you think it will. Airplanes fly no matter how much you doubt them. And even the most religious of religious people can still see Saturn's rings through a telescope or change their channel with a remote control. I'm not saying that atheism has an exclusive claim on science any more than 2 plus 2 equaling 4 does. I'm saying that science has an exclusive claim on reality, and atheism is just a part of that. They're talking about your Jesus. Joining me for headlines tonight are the Bill and Ted to my roof is Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to be excellent to one another? Dibs on Dibs Kiyo. Kiyo. Damn it! <laughs> what? Look, I already got Carlin, so while you guys duke it out over second place, we're going to pause for a word from this week's sponsor, Blue Chew. Oh. Nope. Oh. Uh, excuse me, sir. What are you doing? Oh, hi. Uh, I'm just trying stuff. This is a candy store. You have to pay for those. Right, right. But I'm seeing if any of them are medicine. You know, like like Blue Chew. Oh, what's Blue Chew? Come on! What? I'm also at the candy store. Oh, yeah? Heath, what are you buying at the candy store? Eyes. Mounds. It's true. He comes here a lot. Fine, fine. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. But why would somebody need those in chewable form? Actually, 40% of American adults report difficulty swallowing pills, which means too many people skip medicine they need because they're afraid they can't take it. Oh, but don't you need to go to a doctor's office for that stuff? Actually, Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door. 
in a discreet package. The process is simple. You just sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Well, so it saves people money and helps folks who might have trouble taking pills, and it ships right to your door? Wow, that does sound good. And we got a deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code SCATHING at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code SCATHING to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Nice. Um, all right, well, so n- none of this is medication, so I'm just going to have to ask you to leave anyway. Fine. Heath, can I get a ride? Uh, sorry. Seats are taken with mounds. All of them? All of them. Yep. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, in the unbearable whiteness of being news, <laughs> white Christian people aren't all Nazis, but Nazis are pretty much all white Christian people. Mm-hmm. Never a great start to a story when mm-hmm. that's the disclaimer. Or a race. Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, continuing with this idea, people who do mass shootings with victims who are almost entirely a single ethnic group of non-white women aren't always white Christian Nazis who hate women, but so far they're batting a thousand on that. Yeah. So congratulations to Christianity on maybe only correlating with Nazi mass murder and not definitely causing it. Way to go. Except probably causing it. Yeah. Of course, I'm talking about the white Christian man with Morgellons 5G leaky gut sex addiction Mm -hmm. who went (laughs) on a murder spree in Atlanta last week. Killing eight people, six of whom were Asian women working at massage parlors. And in a shocking revelation, we recently learned that his Baptist pastor gave horribly misogynist sermons. Those are the two dots, really fucking close to each other. (laughs) But, you know, connect as you see fit. Yeah, right. Who could have possibly predicted something like this during their diatribe last week? (laughs) America is like holding a Hershey bar in the center of a chocolate factory, yelling, wherever did this come from? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, so here's how we found the most recent woman-hating sermon that supports the correlation relationship I was just talking about. TM, TM, TM. The mass-murdering Nazi was a member of the Crabapple First Baptist Church in Milton, Georgia. Which makes it sound like all of this is happening in an inappropriately gritty Saturday morning cartoon, by the way. Yeah, G.I. Joe should have stopped this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to the church's credit, credit? we say, I don't know, the church kicked him out for Scotsman deficiency yep. last week. So <laughs> right. Like, mm-hmm. And while they were busy being ethical and intellectually honest, the church also deleted all the recordings on their website of Pastor Jerry Dockery giving sermons. Mm. So weird. Uh. Except they're idiots at that church who forgot about their uh, their big side hustle of putting sermons on Spotify. <laughs> Apparently they saw an opportunity to get all those tech-savvy kids to stream misogyny TED Talks on their fancy internet telephones. And that audio was still available. So that's how we found out. Wow. Right. And and quick before anybody takes comfort in how dumb our opponents are in this fight, let's once again temper that with the degree to which we aren't winning. So right. Just, yeah, I remember. And uh, here's the sort of correlatory wisdom that was being taught to the Atlanta Nazi. This is from a sermon in September of 2020 about the book of Timothy, where the apostle Paul explains that he doesn't allow women to teach stuff or in any way assume authority over any man. So, just to be clear, the 
pastor's exact commentary. doesn't really matter. No. don't really need to tell you what it is. Mm-mm. Unless, of course, he said, the book of Timothy is stupid. We should stop reading this book. We need a new book. <laughs> yeah. Unless that's what happened, it's going to be full of misogyny. And he did not say that. That's not what happened. According to Pastor Dockery, quote, radical feminism has engulfed our culture like a tsunami. We hear all the time, we're striving for gender neutrality, for gender fluidity. You name it. Um, and no, no, we're not, we're not just adding random words after gender. We're just using the ones that make sense. You can't just name it. No. Continuing. <laughs> this is a blatant, a blatant, I'll say it one more time, a blatant <laughs> guidance, direction, strategy of Satan to oppose and usurp the authority of God and God's plan. End quote. That was probably heard by a domestic terrorist in training. Yeah. 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 Damn that Satan and his guidance direction strategies. <laughs> what? Yeah. Funny when your best defense for the things you say is, come on, nobody's going to take me seriously. Right? Yeah. That's Sydney the uh, Powell. Sidney Powell, Tucker Carlson defense <laughs> right there. The legal argument. It's, uh, it's one that worked. Fuck. Uh-uh. And just for the record, the sermon that happened right before the massacre was all about good Christians fighting back in the war between good and evil. But we weren't talking about um January 6th and the Capitol riots. I'm getting no. off track. No. <laughs> <Pointing> <laughs> Pastor Dockery gave pretty much that same sermon I just described three weeks ago about the literal apocalypse and the spiritual war with East Asia. <laughs> Always been happening. Well, I don't, I don't know, man. Ignorance is strength, it turns out. I feel like, I feel like we got to rethink those references. <laughs> and, uh, one other detail on this. So-called sex addiction was named as part of the excuse for mass murder. First of all, not a thing. According to the overwhelming majority of experts, that's not a real diagnosis. But let's say it is. Or l- let's just say that some people really need to have an orgasm, and they haven't for a while. What would be the worst possible treatment for a misogynist Nazi sex addict with a gun collection. Mm, uh, evangelical rehab that tells people masturbation is a relapse? Evangelical rehab that tells you CBD. masturbation is a relapse. Yes, that is correct. And that's exactly what this guy did. And then a murder spree right after that. Yeah. yeah. But, hey, big shout out to all the pastors who are going to bravely condemn this from the pulpit this week. Just, uh, just a heads up. You got some chocolate on your hands, guys. Yep. <laughs> you got a little chocolate. And in What's in a Name News. Christian University, and the only magic school with a creator more problematic than Hogwarts, Liberty University, (laughs) announced this week that they will change the name of the school's right-wing think tank, really hope you can hear the scare quotes there, the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, to the Standing for Freedom Center. (laughs) It's a bad name. Just not kneeling like them black people in the NFL. (laughs) Did it get worse? (laughs) But that's because the Fall stands for Jerry Falwell, who, uh, by the way, got caught watching his wife fuck students from the closet last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Kirk stands for Charlie Kirk, who is a wannabe fascist and is currently being sued by Lemonheads for copyright infringement. <laughs> well, he should be. Yeah, I don't like know if he is, but he should be. Okay. So I found images of Charlie Kirk and the insane. Lemonheads mascot <laughs> next to each other. You can all see it. And it's definitely a poster for an 80s movie with some kind of morphing situation, no Mm -hmm. question. Oh, yeah. But just for the record, the Lemonhead guy genuinely has more reasonable ratios going on in his face. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very much. 
Now, many are seeing this as an attempt by evangelicals to refocus their brand post-Trump. I mean, after all, it's hard to resell yourself as the party of family values and patriotism after four years of paying the porn star you fucked while your wife was giving birth. Hush money with campaign funds seems fine to me. Well, yeah, I'm sure the people who accepted Jerry Falwell and Charlie Kirk's name on a think tank would be bothered by the hypocrisy of something like that. Yeah, yeah fair, fair point. But if you ask me, the answer is far more simple. Impossible as it is to fathom, retaining Charlie Kirk's services is expensive. And the Jerchar Center for DC Villains is already a <laughs> massive financial failure for a right-wing think tank. That's yeah. such a better name yeah. than either of the ones they came up with. Yep. Come on, just Jerchar Char Center. <laughs> So over the past two years, the Jerchar Center has essentially served as a cushy way to pay Trump cronies to come speak at Liberty University. I mean, they haven't even done the standard evil shit right wing think tanks are supposed to do, like publish articles or come up with fancy words for Brett Kavanaugh to use instead of I don't think gay people are real. Right. And, and this is great because it's like every middle aged guy who buys all the stuff for a band but never really does any band stuff. <laughs> Bigot University put a whole bunch of money into this big project and Charlie Kirk spent the last two years being like, All right, what about the couches back to back? Precisely. Back to back? You can't like All right, man, I don't know. Well, pretty much. Scott Lamb, Liberty University's senior vice president for university communications, basically said that when he told the New York Times, quote, we gave it a lot of thought and we decided to allocate our resources in different ways than that partnership with Charlie, end quote. <laughs> yeah, we were all sitting around thinking about it and we realized, fuck, we didn't need a tank for this after all. We're doing it right here. <laughs> And look, while this might seem like relatively minor news, it's important to note that this probably makes Charlie Kirk and Jerry Falwell very sad, very, very which sad. means it should make you, podcast listener, very happy. So whatever kind of day you're having, however you're feeling, Jerry Falwell and Charlie Kirk are such national embarrassments that a university just renamed their nothing so as not to be associated with them. And that should put a smile on your face. There you go. They're both millionaires. Eh, come on. Why Man, you got to wreck it? Have a smile. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Charlie Kirk's not as much of a millionaire. I don't know. Well, we got like $10 million dollars to leave. Fuck that guy. I don't want to be a bad guy now. And then it's not our fault you named it BJU News tonight. <laughs> I am pretty sure that I could work out a mathematical proof showing that it's impossible to simultaneously be on the right side of history and the side of Bob Jones University. Yes, the university named as though it's checking into a motel for an affair and that's known throughout the nation for things like ankle-length cheerleader skirts and a ban on interracial dating is opining once again. And it doesn't look like they've gotten any better at it. The most recent target of their antiquated thought-like phenomena is the Equality Act, a bill that would amend the Civil Rights Act to include protections against discrimination on the basis of sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And Bob Jones University rightly perceives any attack against the bigotry status quo as an attack on them directly. Christians are condemning equality now. Yep. Okay. Yep. I I've got puppies and marshmallow roast by 2022. Any takers? <laughs> I got good odds. Good odds. All on marshmallow. marshmallows matter, Eli. <laughs> oh. 
All right, so with the bill already passed in the House and growing public pressure to pass it in the Senate, Bob Jones University President Steve Pettit issued a statement condemning the legislation because, quote, the Equality Act contains no exemptions for religious organizations or others exercising their religious beliefs, end quote. In other words, he's pissed off because the law would count. <laughs> he also gives away his true motivation when he points out that the college might lose federal grant money under the law because Christian organizations are so fucking brazen that they're not afraid to flaunt the fact that we are still paying for their bigotry right now. Yeah, the end of this nefarious act is unrestrained, unmitigated equality, and that will not stand. Yeah, yeah. Christianity is demanding gutter guards for the sport of ethics <laughs> so that they can play. Yes. Wow. Yes. I don't know why you got to blaspheme against gutter guards. <laughs> Everyone likes to get gutter guards. Oh, so now, of course, the statement wasn't just filled with xenophobia and Christian impudence. It also had lies. It echoed a number of the major themes being pushed by the organized disinformation campaign against this act, because let's face it, when your position is, as Eli just pointed out, gay people shouldn't get apartments, <laughs> you're best off lying about what your position is. So there's been this concerted effort to convince people that it'll do shit like force churches to hire female priests against their will and force them to hold gay weddings even if they don't want to. And as much as we should absolutely fucking do that shit, the Equality Act only applies to places that are open to the public. Churches are already exempt from that shit so even this we might have to follow the law shit is an exaggeration just steve tearfully baking a gay wedding cake joe biden says i have to, <laughs> I, have to. <laughs> I know you're making a joke there but they should have to do that yes. <laughs> in exchange for having laws that don't count for churches you have to make us a cake anytime we want. That's a good deal. Yeah, there you that go. Is way more than fair. We're bending right. over backwards there. Right. No, I would rather have your end of that and yeah. make you a cake. Yeah. Trillion tax-free dollars a year, I'll make you but, two Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, we should underscore just how proactive this bigotry defense is, too, right? Because despite broad public support and a majority in both houses of Congress backing this fucker, as long as the filibuster is in place, this bill is not going anywhere. Even the filibuster reform that Democrats have been hinting at wouldn't make a difference here. There are plenty of Republican senators that would be lining up to be the ones that heroically stood between LGBTQ people and their rights overnight. So it was already dead in the water. This motherfucker was coming out to denounce equality anyway. And that means that it isn't just about defending his bigotry. It's also just that Steve Pettit didn't want to pass up a good opportunity to talk about how terrible the gays are. Ugh. So you're saying I bought Steve Pettit this frosting kit for nothing, Noah? <laughs> curse you, Kirsten Cinema! But seriously, curse her. Well, I'm yeah, sad there isn't a hell for her to burn in. I wish she could die. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I had to think about it. I'm, I'm a bird. <laughs> we can get somebody better from Arizona. Yeah, oh yeah. Sure. And in toy news. Okay. If I can be serious for a moment. You're not done with this? Part of being a skeptic is owning up to your mistakes and apologizing when you're wrong. Oh, you're going to apologize to me for, for that? Yes. Uh, and last week, I fucked up, and a few of you let me know about it. So I'd like to apologize and make that right today. God, this is hard. Last week was, as many of you know, St. Patrick's Day. And as many of you pointed out, I failed to commit an open hate crime against my co-host, Heath Enright, on the air. Okay. It. And for that... I would like to apologize. I can make excuses, to be fair. It's been impossible to find a leprechaun costume that fits me during the pandemic. <laughs> Couldn't find green paint on Amazon Prime, but the truth is, I could have prepared better. I messed up, 
And I want to make it right with you, dear podcast listener, by letting you know that geriatric, hentai princess, and self-proclaimed Christian prophetess Cat Care saw St. Patrick's Mansion in Heaven this week, and <laughs> it's covered in singing shamrocks. Yeah. Fucking what? <laughs> and she cut this part from her video, but that video ends with a guy being like, uh, ma'am, this is a Walmart, and... You have to pay for that pile of Lucky Charms you're swimming around in a very clear acid trip. So, honestly, though, a giant pile of Lucky Charms is literally the only place where her hair would fit the overall color scheme. So yeah, I got it. exactly. She could be a charm. Yeah. Yeah. She could get an NEA grant doing that shit. <laughs> now, regular listeners will remember Care for her previous visions of heaven, which include cities made of jello, a warehouse of body parts for amputees, and... Tractor driving cows. Yep. And mm -hmm. this week, while appearing on Elijah's List YouTube program, she told us all about St. Patrick's house, saying, quote, Patrick was a great winner of souls, and he is, I can tell you, he is in heaven. I have seen his mansion. And because Jesus also has a sense of humor, he built Patrick's mansion in a field of five-foot-tall shamrocks. And <laughs> what? <laughs> Sounds like a fucking nightmare. Right? Right? You know, I love the idea of prank war Jesus, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, St. Anthony, where did I put the keys to your house, Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> Patron St. Deep Cut there. Yeah. One Catholic guy gets it. Now, at this point, Care's co-host is like, Really? Cat Care? You sure you're not just doing a bit to torture Heath? And Care responds, again, real quote, Yeah, I did. I saw him in heaven. And so he's got all these shamrocks that sing to him. And they work with Jesus Christ because God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and quote. <laughs> shamrocks, this is the song that never ends. <laughs> <laughs> he's great, great, great grandpa. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I feel like God would be funnier. but you know, Sure. Yeah. Finally tonight, we have one more story. Here it is. It's been a difficult year, full of fear and uncertainty about the fate of the world. So here's the question on everyone's mind. And I think I speak for all of humanity when I say this. Cardi B is just like Hitler, right? <laughs> and assuming the answer is yes, we'd all like to know exactly how she's just like Hitler. Well, we finally got a good answer. Thanks to John Cooper, the lead singer for the Grammy-nominated Christian band Skillet. Skillet. Skillet, indeed. The lead singer of Skillet, John Cooper. According to him, Cardi B's singing and dancing, in terms of its artistic message and its uh, mise-en-scene, it's just like Hitler's oratory. Hmm. Okay. I I'm just saying, if you're not picturing Hitler doing the WAP dance, you're not the woman I married, audience. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, apparently Cooper did an episode for his YouTube channel, that was responding to Cardi B's performance at the Grammys, which he found morally confusing. Sure. <laughs> Just like the Holocaust. <laughs> it's hard to follow. You guys tell me what's going on. He complained that Cardi B is messing around with the ideas of good and evil. He said, quote, why would anybody call evil good and good evil? Well, what? it's simple. They just redefine the terms. That's Every dictator in history says what they were doing was good. If you go back and you read some of Hitler's speeches, which John Cooper has apparently done extensively, mm -hmm. if you go back to Hitler's speeches, he's like, I'm going to set people free, free from the bondage of the Ten Commandments. What? Continuing the quote one more time. In his mind, he's a liberator. It's always like that, you guys. 
You just redefine evil and you redefine good. That's what's happening right now on the Grammys. Okay. What? That's pretty rich from a guy who makes the type of music so universally bad they had to create a separate category so they could chart. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. Exactly. But so, but the true irony is that like he's actually in the process of doing that. Right, so like John Skillet or whatever is literally in the process of trying to redefine the Christianity out of Hitler, playing a made up bullshit Hitler quote as an example of why it's bad to do that. He was. Yeah. And here's my favorite part. After Cooper came out with that video, the Internet responded, dude, what? So <laughs> right. He had to make a follow up video explaining that. I did not compare Cardi B to Hitler, but yeah, you did. did. Into a recording device. We found it on Spotify and your site. You didn't even delete it anywhere. But let's pretend you didn't do that. Either way, you made a video that said, I did not compare Cardi B to Hitler. Always a bad sign. That's the thing that happened in your life, no matter what. Mm Yeah, but now he's totally ruined my Halloween costume this year. Wet-ass Putin. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just to be clear about the full context here, Cooper was responding to Cardi B performing WAP, or wet-ass pussy. So in John Cooper's mind... A wet vagina has always been evil, right? but now it's getting yeah. as good. <laughs> and that reminds John Cooper of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yep. Yikes. <laughs> right, like, I, I feel like the truly disturbing comparison is the one between vaginal moisture and Nazism. <laughs> <laughs> also, just one last thing, Noah. Sorry, one last thing. This is very important. Skillet used to open for Nickelback. How <laughs> dare they compare yeah, anyone else to Hitler? Story. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You shared a green room with Hitler. <laughs> so with that reminder that there is a true nexus of misery and we know where it resides, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Look at this wet ass pussy. And when we come back, we'll <sighs> dare Heath to get married. are fond of talking about a simpler time in their youth and well many of them might sincerely believe that such a thing existed in reality it's an illusion crafted by a society that focused on meaningless bullshit problems instead of ones that mattered and nowhere is that more obvious than in their church educational videos that ignore date rape racism and endemic poverty in favor of topics like are you and billy really ready for a hand holding which we'll document once again in this week's god awful mini So tell us, Heath, what will we be breaking down today? We watched A Teenager's Choice. (laughs) It's um, Nothing happens. Like, whatever Noah just said, that's it. That's all that happens. (laughs) Okay, I watched a version of this. I downloaded it from whatever link, and the audio is on a 12-second delay from the video. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter. Literally didn't matter. (laughs) Did not affect my viewing of this stupid fucking film. Yeah, yeah. And so, Eli, how bad was this mini? Well, if your whore of a daughter wants to get married five whole months earlier than the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth (laughs) intended, but even you've got to admit in your own movie you haven't spoken to her since she was six, you will love 
this educational film. It's Noah and Lucinda aren't going to make it the movie. Yeah, right, right. It's also got to be the least interesting thing on the Internet called A Teenager's Choice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to open up with the 1950s credits, which are always amazing. Oh, I swear to God, every black and white movie started with the same music. <laughs> well, there, was, there were three musics, depending on the mood. Yeah, there were three different musics that we had back then. So we start off meeting our hero, Sandy, and her friend, Anne. Anne shows up in Sandy's room where Sandy has some goss, little news. Mm-hmm. Turns out that her and Doug are getting married on Saturday. Ooh. And I just want to say Sandy looks like she's never performed a household task without yelling, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, but Sandy's almost 18, so she thinks she's all kinds of ready for sex. But Anne does not think marriage is a very good idea at all. Mm-mm. She's like, don't be silly. Everyone knows you can't get married without your parents' permission and a certificate of virginity. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. My favorite character is Doug's uncle. Yeah. Or Doug's <laughs> uncle. Yeah. So, apparently, Doug's uncle is going to help. Like, tell the judge that it's fine so the two of them can get married? Yeah. Was that a thing? Like, how many laws didn't count if some creepy uncle said you were cool to a judge or a cop or whatever? So many. Like, when I was a kid, I could buy cigarettes if I had a note. When I was, like, nine years old, if I had a note from my grandpa, (laughs) I could buy cigarettes. Yeah. We, as a society, lost so much when we no longer needed the sketchy uncle. Now we (laughs) roam the streets and plains of this world hoping people listen to our podcast. (laughs) You roam planes? Yeah, that's I would. I cardio's so difficult. (laughs) White plains, New York. But we also learn here that Sandy and Doug are getting married because their friends dared them to. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So were dares like fucking serious back in the day? Like, how did people? It was like chivalry. Like you had to kill yourself with a sword (laughs) if you didn't take a dare, or you. Reneged on a dare? What's going on there? I don't, like that's in my notes. I'm like, was that a real problem they had to warn the kids about back then? <laughs> well, yeah, apparently because this entire film was made because Christianity thought they were losing kids to marriage dares. Yeah, that's like the plot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before we make this movie, everyone raise your hand. Whose kid is married on a dare? All of us. Okay, this is a great movie. We're doing a lot. <laughs> so. <laughs> So now we meet Doug. So Anne has to leave. We have Doug and Sandy coming in together discussing their plans for their secret marriage. They're not going to tell anybody until after the fact, except sketchy uncle, of course. Well, except she already did. Well, right. She told her friend Anne, and Doug's like, dude, what? You told somebody about our secret marriage? That's the whole thing. I didn't tell anybody about the secret. I mean, mostly because I'm... 55 years old and you're 17. Yes. <laughs> he said secret. Thank you, Heath Enright. Doug is 800 years old and he looks like if the Dust Bowl had a kid with Mr. Rogers. <laughs> he had a weird, like, time traveling Willem Dafoe look to him to me. Yeah. yeah. Statutory grapes of wrath. Like <laughs> but yeah, so they're having second thoughts, but well, first and a half thoughts, right? That's going to be the, basically the first. 26 minutes of this 27 minute video. Mm-hmm. But Doug's also got good news. 
he found an apartment they can live in next to the gas station where he works. Isn't that great? Well, his his sketchy uncle yeah. found it anyway. <laughs> okay, this uncle is connected to some weird grapevine. <laughs> oh, I can yeah, I can get you married. Uh, do you need a gas station apartment? Yeah, I have a guy for that. I have a yeah. guy for that too. Yeah. But at any rate, so she's she's not so sure. He's not so sure. But then then they start thinking about the fact that in three short days they'll be fucking. So it's all worthwhile. Ooh! But just then, mom and dad come in and ruin the fucking mood altogether. <laughs> Who are the same age as Doug? I mean, mom might be a little younger than Doug. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Also, Doug and Sandy were saying out loud, like, "All right, we're gonna be married in three days," and the parents walk in from you know. 10 feet away when that was said and they're like no we didn't no we didn't hear anything we're off screen so how would we be able to hear it yeah it's like yeah my waist is very high it's hard for me to hear things on on her father (laughs) okay question what the fuck is going on with dad's tie here it it looks like someone cut a regular tie in half and he's wearing it out of spite Yeah, it's that flat bottom. I guess that was the style. Had to save tie fabric for the wall. I mean, it fits with his waist, which is at his chin. Yeah. Yeah. No, right, right, exactly. Oh, we also have to introduce Little Brother as a character here. So he just comes in to be annoying, throw a pillow, and and not get in trouble or something. Okay. (laughs) But Sandy's overreaction to Little Brother is the best movie that I want to watch the entire time. He's like, hey, Doug, think fast, and throws him a basketball or whatever, and she's like, I'll fucking murder you, Kyle. I'll murder you and leave your body in a shallow grave in the desert. (laughs) Well, so, but that's the thing, right? So this is the classic example of what happens when you have adult men writing teenage girls. Like, because everything out of Sandy's mouth is just her blowing up about some dumb fucking crazy shit and freaking the hell out about it. Yeah, she storms out here. She's like, I'm not a child. Doug is my age. Word, this is normal. We're leaving. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. And then then the music comes in for a second, and it's the music of very clearly a henchman is about to attack Bugs Bunny in like an (laughs) old-timey Brooklyn mobster way. I don't know. That's not what's happening in the movie. To be that's not what happens right after this. No, no. Strange, I don't know. It's enough. like they were doing their side gig on the job. They were like, "I'm sorry, can we record this real quick for this Bugs Bunny cartoon?" <laughs> yeah. we'll get back to your boring educational film. It's either that or the pit was just like, "All right, we're gonna fuck with this movie. These people are terrible. I don't know. We'll play whatever we want. <laughs> so, See if they can figure it out." <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, so that night, Mom and Dad wonder if Doug and Sandy might be fucking, right? Okay. Dad is putting on more clothes than he wore coming home from the office to go to sleep. What? Yeah. Did people have sleeping mail back in the day? (laughs) This was thick. Yeah. Leather and chains. Oh, got separate beds, and they're putting house coats over their pajamas to go to sleep. Right. Yeah. (laughs) What happened when people were sleeping? (laughs) But yeah. So mom is trying to get dad to be a little more incensed about the fact that she's off fucking Doug all hours of the night. Right. Dad's got a very like, I don't really give a shit. She's a girl and all kind of an attitude. She's like, you must talk to her. And he's like, no, she's an asshole. I liked her when she was 12. (laughs) And I wrote wrote my notes. Weird take. Weird take. Yeah, well, and I love Dad's egocentrism. She's like, I wonder what's wrong with our daughter. And he's like, it's probably me. It's probably about me. I'm just I'm a shitty dad. It's probably I haven't dadded well enough. Look, if I know one thing about a teenage girl, it's that her problems are a reflection of me and me alone. I'll yeah. let her know that. That'll fix everything. Yeah. No, I, I should point out, Dad is a shitty 
dad. Like, like I'm not take, trying to take that away from him. He nailed that. <laughs> it's true. All right. So, okay. Now we have to meet this. I have him down as Redneck Gilligan, uh, the straw hat guy. Oh, oh, the burlesque scarecrow <laughs> that he's friends with. Okay. Yes. That Doug is friends with. Were Daisy Duke's shorts the standard uniform for mechanics at some point in history? And if so, how do we make that period of history happen? Yeah. Again? Right. So, okay. So we're at work. Doug is at the, at the gas station that he works at and his buddy, who I just have a straw hat through the whole thing, who's wearing Daisy Dukes and a straw hat. Is just there chatting with him about a scholarship that'll never come up again. You know how there's young Sheldon? Doug's friend looks like old Sheldon. <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so and, and then we add to this mix Joe. Joe is I have no idea what fucking person they they assume that there was a third friend needed here. Yeah. Apparently they couldn't exposit directly into each other's mouth, so there's a third <laughs> Joe yeah. to set things up. Yeah, so Joe shows up to tell Straw Hat that Doug is getting married to Sandy. God, Jesus, I hate my job. (laughs) And this scene is super stupid, but I do want to point one thing out. Straw Hat, old Sheldon, all of his lines are desperate cries for help in this scene. (laughs) And no one acknowledges it. He goes, haven't you heard the news? And Straw Hat's like, I had a mental breakdown. I just got out of the hospital. And he's like, yeah, they're getting married. That's the way I have a heart condition. Anyways, that's a... (laughs) Spit in your eye and an elephant's tie. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I love that the, so first of all, just a quick terrifying window into the time period. Straw Hat says, so wait a minute, do you two have to get married? And I was like, oh, God, the pre-abortion world is terrifying. (laughs) But then once they figure out that it's not because she's pregnant, the big discussion is whether or not he'll chicken out. Well, Dares were fucking serious. Because he's like, so. yeah, I'm getting married on a dare. I ain't fucking yellow. So that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> chicken it out. Fuck you. People fought two world wars on a dare back yeah, then. Right? It fucking meant Damn something. <laughs> and I love Joe's like, he's almost doing the like, you have so much life to live, but they can't say you can fuck other people. So yeah, it's just right. like, you know, all the church oh, you the could go to as a choir practices. <laughs> Yeah, right. So then we get Doug showing off the apartment to Sandy and her not even pretending to be impressed. Oh, the rent, by the way, is $55 a month. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, you can still rent that apartment for that price in Georgia. Yeah, no, it's got to go south for it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, that comes with dishes, though. So yeah, that's true. That's that's the best part. He's like, sweet pad, right? And she obviously hates it. Mm -hmm. He walks into the kitchen. Well, it's like a studio. He walks into the kitchen area behind a curtain, and he's like... Yeah, the kitchenette. Oh, look, it came with a bowl. Huh? Huh? You like this bowl? bowl? <laughs> you eat... You eat I see, I've seen you eat salads. It's great to have bowls. Or cereal. Yeah. I don't know. We, do it. we put it on my head. Look at this. It's a bowl. <laughs> you know what they say? A bowl is just a big cup if you want it to be. <laughs> so- and... She has this great moment where she he's obviously asking her to compliment the place, and she's like, I like that there are trees outside on Earth. Yeah, right. We can <laughs> almost see the park from here. Oh, it's fucking sad. What if we loft the bed? We'll have room for activities. Look at me kicking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but then Doug realizes he's late for the scene being over, so they, they rush out. Yeah. Now, keeping in mind that, like, 
earlier this was like right next to his workplace, right? This was the apartment above his work. He's late for work, so he has to run off. She's like, you can drop me off at, at Ann's place on the way. <laughs> on the way downstairs, really? Yeah. So, meanwhile, back at Sandy's house, mom and dad are board gaming with Junior like a good family does. Very wholesome. Very wholesome. Oh, We're playing Scrabble. Yeah. yeah. I like Scrabble. The only board game in 1959. <laughs> no, they had Monopoly back then, too. Um, Monopoly's pretty good too. Commies. I don't like the detail that we get about the Scrabble though. Like, it's mom's turn. She puts down one square, one tile, and she gets a triple word score. Who leaves a triple word open for a one tile placement well, to get that triple and then go somewhere else with it? That's horrible. And she doesn't go somewhere else with it. No, and then they she just count, puts down one letter. They count three numbers. Who the fuck even knows what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Sandy comes home while they're playing Scrabble. And they're like, do you want to play some Scrabble? And, of course, she has to go, like, no, I hate you and everything else in the world. And then go, go to her room. <laughs> I'll destroy you. Okay. <laughs> this movie is like an Exorcist prequel where they never decide to deal with the demon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go read some Dawkins. Yes. Your voice <laughs> got evil there. Honey, my mother sucks cocks in hell. Okay, my mother sucks okay. cocks in hell. So, so she goes to head into her bedroom and think about how much more life she has to live before she gets married. So we watch her like, you know, she hugs a doll. She looks through a yearbook for a fucking while. <laughs> she reads? She reads a yearbook in the movie? <laughs> she does. That actually happens for a while. Yeah. And what she reads is first she sees the badminton team, which I found delightful. That's cool mm -hmm. that they had a badminton team. But then she's like, oh, look, it's the uh, Enjoying Our Youth Club. Yeah, oh. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then she weeps. Well, yeah, this scene had a very nobody's going anywhere until she summons an actual tear feeling to it. <laughs> yeah. Next time I cry, I'm going to do that fall over crying that people did in 1950s. Oh, fuck movie. yes. It looks fun. Fuck yes. It's so true. You got to get up at a mirror and get that thing going where you look at yourself starting to maybe make the cry face and then you can cry. I can make myself cry like that. Huh, interesting. All right. I can make myself cry by thinking about Christmas commercials. It's pretty easy for me. Here we go. I'm the Incredible Hulk of crying. I'm always crying. Well, there you go. <laughs> Eli just stops telling jokes for five seconds yeah. and crying. Yeah, and I'm exactly, crying. exactly. All right, so, but Dad can apparently smell her tears, or is it right? Because he dips out and he's like, Hold on a moment. My dad's senses are going off. I need to go upstairs and find out what's wrong. Did you touch the thermostat or cry? I cry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> did you improperly wrap up an extension cord? Hold on a second. <laughs> okay, you did both. I'm going to yell at you. You'll still be crying. It's just really not a problem. And then, then why are you crying? It's like for the cleaning from the top down, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but question Did dad get like pranked and was told to play this as a love scene because why the fuck else would he sit that close to her <laughs> well yeah he sits close and he's like you want to talk about it she's like you're very very close you're very close <laughs> and she starts backing up but he moves right yeah. with her and she's like all right yeah i have to stand up this is crazy <laughs> did somebody tell you as a prank to play this as a love scene <laughs> Pepe Le Pew is coaching him from off screen. Yeah, right. A little bit more distance, man. <laughs> Creeping him out. You know what? You're younger than my fiance, so uh, let's go with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But but he's like, is there something you want to talk about? And she's like, nope. And she turns to the mirror. She wipes her tears away. She says, see, Dad, I'm not crying anymore. You nailed it. Made me stop crying. Now go away. And he's like, all right. Well, looks like I've dad is correct. <laughs> 
The, yep. the film convention of no, really, what's the matter? Hadn't been invented yet, so he's like, all right, <laughs> good job, me. Yeah, he's buying it apparently. <laughs> Maybe speak literally from now on, and I'll listen to the thing you say because you said that. And now I'm leaving. That's how it works. <laughs> Don't lie. It's gonna be a liar. <laughs> All right, so so now it's time, I guess, to pad the fucking runtime a bit. So the following morning, Straw Hat shows up in Anne's kitchen to chew some more scenery and bless him for it, right? Because if it wasn't for Straw Hat, this would have been a hard watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is super easy because of Straw Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Straw Hat turns to her and he's like, how come you haven't asked me to marry you? And Anne's like, I mean, because you're obviously super duper gay. And this, <laughs> this is your only creative outlet. Also the hat, if I'm and, and, and the honest. shorts, really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Will you take off the hat? <laughs> no. <laughs> she he bites her. Yeah. No. But he also calls her a sugar chop here. Does he really? What's a sugar chop? I don't know, but that's amazing. I think it's when you ask your gay actor to improvise a <laughs> adoring <laughs> nickname for yeah, a woman exactly. live on screen. Sugar okay. beats. I don't know. <laughs> well, if you've got a bunch of cardiology problems, maybe you don't have sugar chops going on. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, but there's a whole big moment here where, because I was thinking to myself, I, you know, this is funny and silly and everything, but it's not very christian you know does it really belong on this show at all and then holy shit did they crank the jesus up to 11 here yeah because suddenly he's like and why haven't you asked me to marry you and she's like because i'm churchy and he's like right and she's like god is very important to me he made me white and i owe him one for that <laughs> it's seriously that he basically says like okay so you go to church your life is better than ours us the ones who don't she's like yep <laughs> yes i am better i am better how do i put this being a christian makes me the bestest yeah <laughs> and i don't have severe psychiatric problems and cardiology problems <laughs> i'm healthier yeah i have a full pair of jeans all to myself <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so, and then this is a, because they're trying to figure out how to talk their friends out of getting married. And I love that she has to be like, can you stop fucking daring them and telling them they're going to chicken out? Maybe that would help. He's like, right, yeah, I probably should do that. No deal. <laughs> but then she's like, you know who could help is a character that we've never met, hasn't been on screen, and we've only vaguely referred to, my older sister. And he's like, yeah, she could do something off screen that would help move this plot along, huh? Oh, are we going to meet her, and is she going to do anything? No, no, I'll no. just report back on what she Hell said yeah. in the next scene. Yep, there you go. All right, so now Sandy's waiting for her parents to leave so she can pack for her <laughs> for her marriage. Mm -hmm. Anne shows up to tell her she still thinks this is a shit idea. Right, and she reports back that what the sister said is she was just like the plot of this movie, but then she didn't, and that's good, which means the people who wrote this 14 second long educational film we're like what's a good way to communicate our message of don't get married in our educational film i know we'll make up a separate film that happened within the film where the character didn't make the mistake that the character is about to make it's so funny. can we show that to them no or well, just, no no, we can just no we'll, we'll just have another it. character refer to a person who we've never heard of talking about the fact that that happened yeah <laughs> right okay but just to be clear the christian message is like a matter of a two-month difference in age. Yeah. She's 17. She's going to turn 18 next month. And the movie is saying, like, wait until a month and you're Christian again. Because that's what the minister that the character we didn't meet tells her when she goes to the minister. She's like, I'm 17. I don't get married. And the minister's like, 
No, marriage is great. Give it a month. Yeah. And then it'll be Christian. Yeah, right. Well, so so the sister that's telling her all of this is 22 and getting married. So if if anything, that's what they're saying. It's like, eh, a couple of years. Give it a couple of years there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Anne, Jesus Christ, this is convoluted. So Anne is now telling her what her sister told her that her minister told her before she almost got married at 18. Jesus Christ. I don't know what you just said. Right? I, I, I watched this movie. And I'm lost. <laughs> so, the minister is now describing this podcast about the scene. The <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but so Sandy admits it's probably not a very good idea, but her friends are going to think she's a chicken, you know, and dares are very serious. <laughs> Noah, you were a young man when this movie was made. No, I was. Were, did they make you wear some kind of star? If you were proven to be chicken, were there camps they sent you away to? You were, you were the, they kept the feathers on with, with tar, actually. It was, yeah, it was, exactly. Very, very sticky. What was Benjamin Franklin like? Oh, so, nice? <laughs> so, but Anne, I love to, like, Anne plays the God card, right? She's like, you know, God will help you if you'll let him. And she's like, I don't need a stinking fucking God. <laughs> so now she's upstairs. Her parents have left, or at least so she thinks. She's getting packed. There's, uh, I love God's trying to warn her off with a distant thunderstorm, right? We have thunder and lightning in the background. And shit. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's good imagery. Symbolism, yeah, whatever. right, right. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Good writing. But dad comes in while she's packing. She thought he was going, but he's not. And she, he's like, so are you running off to fuck Doug or something? What? No, <laughs> no. And dad's like, why are you wearing your leopard print? Moving dress. <laughs> she's gonna get Which married. She's literally print. wearing. She's got a ridiculous, like huge flared out dress. She's got a, one of those net things over her hair. She's yeah, super. Did, was that a thing when people moved? They would get dressed. Noah, up? was there new moving dresses? She was going to get married. That was her. She was gonna get married in a leopard print dress. That was amazing. Oh, that's cool. They okay. do say that, right? White for virgins and leopard print for underage virgins. 17-year-olds and 55-year-old groom. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But she admits to Dad that they're, she's going to run off and get married, and, and he's not sure how to take it. Doug gets there. He starts honking to tell her that he's there, so not marriage material there. Okay. Fuck that guy. That's the fucking best, because the rest of the scene will be punctuated yeah. by Doug being like, yeah. <laughs> I was crying with yes. laughter. There, they, there's not a single moment in this scene that will not be ruined by Doug's horn for the rest of it. Yeah, so but and they have this weird fucking conversation where he has to assure her that he doesn't like her brother more than her, no matter how much it seems that he does. Quote, if I may, when you were born, you were the first person I loved unselfishly what oh, really <laughs> what you, your mom didn't make the cut huh <laughs> yeah that's a weird distinction <laughs> he also says i love you differently than i love your mom and she's like thank you oh, yeah what? judging by how close you stand to me i'd never have guessed <laughs> yeah, i couldn't tell that from the way you played the last scene thank yeah. you for clarifying <laughs> Yeah, and then he's like, remember when we used to Christianity more, you and I, and you weren't off <laughs> fucking Doug? That was, those were the days. <laughs> he goes, I wish, I wish 
I wish. And I just wrote in my notes, did he forget his line? You can cut. Oh, he forgot his line. They just had one long reel back in the 50s. You got one. Yeah. One take. I wish. Uh, I wish clarinets and violins would start playing <laughs> so we can end the scene, please. Jesus. Yeah. And they did. So, uh, but apparently this is where I learned that the moral of this story is go to church or who the hell knows who your daughter will be fucking. <laughs> yep. He might be 55 years old and work at a gas station. Exactly. He he also explains that like church weddings are the ones that count because because God or something. And meanwhile, Doug is just honking away, going like, "We did say six thirty, right? We was it? It's the best, <laughs> <laughs> honey. I've got to tell you that when the Lord is a part of, <laughs> <laughs> I want him to start yelling, just like Sandy, Sandy, <laughs> Sandy." Phone Sandra. starts ringing. Sandra. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> All right. So then we cut outside. Like, their their conversation wraps up. I want to point out that there was thunder and lightning the whole goddamn time they were having this conversation. We cut outside. It's not raining. <laughs> no. That was just Doug. Doug was making that noise yeah. to get her attention. He <laughs> was rattling metal sheets off stage. Are There's you punching a-, a ham outside of the window? <laughs> what? So we go outside where he is, and, and she comes out. And, and he's like, so are we getting married or did we think better of this? Please tell me we thought better of this. Please tell me we thought better of this. <laughs> but she thought better of this. And to his credit, the actor that plays Doug has a very, I thought I was getting laid tonight and now I'm not look on his face. He gets over it so fast. She's like, Doug, don't be disappointed, Doug. And he's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. And then she goes like, you know, I, I want to start, th- this is the actual line, she says, let's start again with Christ at the center of our lives. And then you have, he's got that like, oh, wow, I almost married your nutty ass bullet dodged kind of moment <laughs> It's the best. She actually asks him, she's like, okay, so we're doing this, we're going we're gonna to wait a little bit more, we're going to be more Christian, and then we're going to get married in a church, like really soon, but not right now. And Doug, he's clearly supposed to be like, yeah, I'm in Christianity movie, but he's silent yes, for the yep. whole thing yeah. and never answers. Right. And his, his <laughs> answer is just like, hug technically didn't say yes. <laughs> it's like me trying to get Heath to watch Transformers with me. You said we could go. No, I said we're I'm going to you. the theater. Shush, Eli, shush, I'm running my hand across your lips. <laughs> Mango nectar. Man. It's very sticky. All right. So I guess with that important lesson learned, wait a few months, kids. I guess we're done. 30 minutes of film back when making a movie was really expensive no matter how bad it was and they hadn't fully eradicated polio yet great use of resources the 50s <laughs> jesus so with that we'll wrap up yet another edition of god awful minis Before we retreat to our caves this week, I want to remind you that things are really heating up on our ongoing quest to recover the Wand of Seven Parts over on D&D Minus. If you haven't checked out that show because the idea of listening to other people play D&D seems insane to you, I strongly urge you to reconsider. I honestly thought that myself at first, but then I remembered how fucking funny Eli is. You'll find a link in the show notes, of course. Anyway, that's all the blast we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be looking for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Monday. An even newer episode of our sister show, Hot Friend Guide Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And an even newer episode of our half sister 
National Citation Day today being at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this show wouldn't fit into your phone right if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for smelling so pretty. I want to thank Eli Bosnick for tasting so salty. I also need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Delusions for being all things that I need in my life such that I've gotten through an entire year-long quarantine and wanted for nothing. I also need to thank James from Brisbane for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. He didn't have anything to promote, so he asked me that I use this spot to remind everybody to treat autistic people with dignity. And, though he didn't say this specifically, I feel like it was implied that he also wanted me to remind everybody to treat anti-vaxxers with whatever the opposite of dignity is. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most marvelous mammals, Steve, Sarah, David, Daniel, Richard, and Michael. Steve, Sarah, and Daniel, whose IQs have more ones and zeros than this MP3, and Daniel, Richard, and Michael, whose ejaculations are so powerful, NASA had to ask him to aim away from the Hubble when they masturbate. Together, these six sexy secularists secured our secretions of segmented sacrilege this week by... Warning, if you don't want to hear the word fuck, it's already too late. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Honey, Hymns, and by Outbreak, A Crisis of Faith, How Religion Ruined Our Global Pandemic, a book that would have been a really original thriller if it had been fiction. Outbreak, A Crisis of Faith, by No Illusions, with Andrew Torres. Available now on the Kindle Store. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Puzzle in a Thunderstorm podcasts are how I stay sane. Thank you guys so much for giving voice to the frustrations we carry around with us. Hi, this is Paul from Glasgow, and the screensaver from my brain is, You can buy drugs from us at Reason Cone. You guys are so funny, you're so great, and you really helped me through a very dark time in my life. Leaving religion, getting over the bullshit that they put me through. Thank you so, so, so much from the bottom of my heart. All the best for another 400 from David Watt in Edinburgh. Hey, my name is Sam, and last year I was stuck in a Catholic hospital for about a month. And I think your show gave me the courage to tell them to fuck off every time they tried to proselytize to me. So, in short, we did in fact evolve from Filthy Monkey Men. October 15th. And it's episode 400, motherfucker! Oh, yeah. No illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Mike, the situation Sorrentino's New Jersey, Cincinnati Swing State, and Good Husband Georgia, this is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Clarence Thomas has a really convoluted plan to get out of his marriage. Tall <laughs> <laughs> Tyler crushes up a fetus in some peanut butter to cure Donald Trump's COVID. That's how it works. And a Catholic priest will fuck consenting adults. Ooh. But first, the diatribe. Once every 400 episodes. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, watching Trump get COVID really made me jealous for a minute of the people who believe in hell. Yeah, like normally when atheists think about hell, we think about all the negative shit involved in fearing one might go there oneself or one's loved ones could go there for the, you know, petulant crime of atheism. But there are two sides to that coin, of course. While Christians very rarely admit it, it's got to be damn nice to believe that the people who piss you off are going to have their skin melted off by a demon forever. 
Right. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't believe that anybody has ever or could ever do something so bad they deserve hell. You know, by hell, you mean the typical Christian definition where one is tortured for eternity. No finite crime can justify an infinite punishment. That being said, the idea of divine justice is damn appealing. Right. Like, I mean, obviously, it's got to be nice to believe that when you die, you're going to be rewarded in the afterlife. But from time to time, it's also got to be every bit as nice to believe that the assholes of the world have a healthy dollop of punishment coming their way, too. And watching my newsfeed obsessively after that pumpkin colored asshole was flown to Walter Reed had me reflecting on that a lot. I mean, I know a lot of people were probably rooting for him to just die and. Honestly, if you want to minimize suffering, that's probably the right thing to root for. But I didn't want that. I wanted him to suffer for his crimes, and dead people can't suffer. Of course, as we all know, he almost certainly won't suffer either, and he definitely won't suffer commensurate with his crimes, right? There's only a vanishingly small chance that he'll wind up in prison and an even lower chance that he's going to wind up penniless and uninsured and sucking off Mexican immigrants to afford his overpriced medicine while his children rot in cages, which is what it would take to make it commensurate. You know, I, I don't even think there's a legal term for sentencing people to that, and that's sad. Right, It would be damn comforting to know that justice wasn't merely possible, but guaranteed, inescapable. Sure, he might avoid judgment in this world, but after he died, he would still have to account for his sins. I mean, I know it's weird to think of hell as a comforting thought, but it very clearly is. It's very clearly comforting to think that everything works out like a Disney story, even if Act 3 happens post-mortem. You know, atheists forget about that sometimes. When we think about what religious people get for their tithes, we think about the fear of death and how comforting that promise of immortality is, right? We think about the fear of an impersonal universe and how much nicer it must feel to think the universe cares about them and is willing to bend the laws of physics on their behalf now and again. We think about how overwhelming the randomness of one's fate can be and how soothing it must be to tell oneself that it's all part of some divine plan. When we address hell at all, it's usually just to toss an uncomfortable part of their theology back in their faces. But hell is a promise to the dues-paying Christian just as much as heaven, and we overlook that to our detriment. See, the most effective way to make atheists isn't through any argument. It's by replacing the shit they needed religion for in the first place. Really, the better and more broadly available modern medicine gets, the less people rely on prayer for like the health of themselves or their loved ones. Yeah, I mean, they might still offer prayers because that's the nice thing to do when somebody's sick, but they don't rely on it. Now, eventually, the, the medicine reaches its limit, and since the prayers are bullshit, they're limitless. You know, they don't work, but they also don't admit that. So once science has gone as far as it can, a lot of people turn to the metaphysical version, even though it doesn't work. Obviously, the better the medicine gets, the fewer people that will have to do that. And this is true across the board. People have an innate need to understand the world around them. The better and more accessible scientific answers can be, the less often people will have to settle for the religious answers that don't work. But eventually, you do reach a limit. No matter how much we learn, there will always be a frontier of our knowledge, and that's where religion can step in and offer up some bullshit that doesn't work. Along the way, you hit this important threshold. Right. It exists in different places for different people, of course. But there's a point way before infinite knowledge where a human can satisfy themselves with scientific answers and not resort to religious ones. I mean, obviously there is because for you and I, that point has already been reached. And, and the key to spreading atheism farther is bringing more people to that point. For some people, it's just a matter of teaching them the answers that we already know. For other people, we're going to actually have to like move our knowledge further along. But the goal is to reach that line. And intuitively, we know that. 
right? Like, like that's how we try to combat religion instinctively by offering up better answers. But we have to recognize that across the board, it's not enough to satisfy just a person's need for knowledge. They also need control over their lives, right? That's why religion is so much more prevalent in poorer countries and poorer states. People forced to live in poverty don't have enough control over their lives and can't get all this swell modern medicine and shit. And so they're more likely to settle for the metaphysical version that doesn't work. The lie that offers them control and instead controls them. You know, to make a world right for atheists, you have to make a humanist world. You have to offer people these things and you have to get them across these lines. You have to give them knowledge. Yes, you have to give them control. Absolutely. But you also have to give them justice. Because if they're forced to live in a world without it, they'll choose the metaphysical version that doesn't work. If they aren't afforded a fair chance in life and they see cheats and liars and hedonistic pieces of shit like Trump constantly escaping justice, they will give up on the secular version. You know, a lot of people tell me social justice isn't an atheist issue. The hell it isn't. It's, it's, it's just harder you know, than most of our problems are to solve. It's a harder issue, and so a lot of atheists are inclined to hide from it. And you know what? That's their choice. I guess doing most of the job is better than doing none of the job. But if you get in the way of the people who are trying to do this part, you're not even helping anymore. You're just getting in the way. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the Pulitzer and Booker to my Nobel Prize in Literature, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas. Do you think the new book gets all three, or do you think their nominating committees are anti-atheist bigots? Oh, no, Nobel is cool. You got, what, Kissinger, Obama, Trump. The, the nomination process is pretty fair, right? <laughs> like, they all belong in that. Coincidentally, also my fuck, Mary kill list. Just, it's, just... it's the horn-rimmed glasses. I get it. I get <laughs> yeah. it. All right. So while you visualize Eli fucking Henry Kissinger, we're going to pause for a word from this week's first sponsor, Honey. Looks like... 40% off? Hard to tell. The guy's standing in front of the sign, but I think it's 40. Well, then tell me when he moves. Hey, okay. Eli, have you seen my... Guys, what did I say about trying to see people naked with my telescope? You said call you for the attractive ones. Call you one. for the attractive ones. But, but we're not using it for that. We're using it to shop for deals. I'm sorry, you're using my telescope to shop for deals. Yeah, we can see the gap from here and Walmart. So we, we're checking out all the... Discounts. Yeah, and if we spy a deal, we just head online and make our purchases. Well, why don't you guys just use honey? Well, because you said no sticky stuff around no the telescope after the, the mango after nectar. Mango nectar. No, no, honey. You get honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash scathing. Then, when you're checking out on one of its over 30,000 supported sites, honey pops up and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a second as Honey searches for coupons for that site. If Honey finds working codes, it applies all the best ones to your cart. Wait, and it's free? 100% free. I recently used Honey to replace one of my controllers for my Oculus Quest, and I saved 15 bucks. Nice. It's simple. If you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's free and works with whatever browser you use. You can get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash scathing. That's joinhoney.com slash scathing. Now, give me back the telescope. I want to look at space stuff. Oh, but space doesn't have boobs. Well, technically, space has infinite boobs. You know what I meant. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, Christian preacher Sean Fact Fucked? Is it, it can't be fucked. fucked. It's got to be fucked. fucked. 
Fuck. It looks like we're fucked. We're saying it's fucked. Fact, <laughs> we're going with fucked. All right. Christian preacher Sean Fucked <laughs> the launch event for our new book. <laughs> Just in case <laughs> the homicidal negligence of Christian leaders in the face of the pandemic was in danger of, you know, falling out of the news cycle for a minute. Fact gathered an estimated 90 to 100,000 people to a maskless shoulder-to-shoulder concert on the courthouse steps in Nashville. Fact your face. Yeah, right. <laughs> he tweeted out a video clip of the biological warfare own goal, along with a defiant proclamation that all caps, quote, the church will not be silenced. Flame emoji, flame emoji, flame emoji. Wait. This is very serious, very serious. Seriously, the yeah. emoji? Yes, yeah. hashtag let us worship, end quote, not adding... Okay, well, the ones on ventilators will be silenced, but the rest of us will be loud. Also, I'd like to add eggplant, clap hands, avocado, <laughs> motherfucker. That's go fuck yourself, you basic, just to be clear. That's what I was saying to him. See, the nice thing is as contact tracing gets more advanced and as more and more people die of COVID, soon we'll, you'll just get like an iPhone alert about whether or not they deserved it. They can get a sticker <laughs> on their chart. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> now, there is some good news out of this. I like... When I said estimated 90 to 100,000 people, I neglected to mention that Fecht was doing the estimating there, right? <laughs> and if that's accurate, the, the picture he sent out cleverly hid at least half of those motherfuckers. Still, like four or 5,000 people gathering in the ninth most COVID-infested state for a big, you know, breathe-on-one-another festival is plenty to be pissed about. All the more so since he had just done the same fucking thing in Atlanta a couple of days earlier. Yeah, and he's not even running for re-election. Right? So. Yeah. He doesn't even have a Dr. Lyon for his ass. Now, in, in a fucking Freeman-on-the-land effort to make the gathering legal, Fecht called it a protest. But according to Nashville's Metro Public Health Department, he neither applied for nor received a permit for the gathering. So apparently he thinks legality is all in which magic words you utter on Twitter. I said protest, right. verb, noun? Yeah, verb? <laughs> in the fucking real universe, Nashville has restricted gatherings to 25 people or fewer, irrespective of nomenclature, and the city has expressed an interest in pursuing, quote, appropriate penalties against the organizer, end quote. And as reassuring as that is, it's also the fucking point from Fact's perspective, right? Because then he can pretend to be oppressed and he can cast the fuck in. Because making religious people play by the same rules as everybody else is persecution. Uh, also, winky face, eggplant, sad face, <laughs> lemon, lemon, motherfucker. <laughs> That's fuck your face and I squeeze lemons in your eye afterwards. Oh, all right. Interesting. Yeah. See, I was thinking since the, quote, appropriate penalty is to make him sleep in a COVID ward with nothing but a crucifix for protection and medical care, <laughs> I don't think they're going to follow through anyway, so. Right, yeah. And and by the way, just in case you need more reason to hate facts, he ran for Congress as a Republican this year and is a big Trump booster. And if you need extra ammunition to, I don't know, make fun of him on your podcast, he's affiliated with Bethel Church in Redding, California, <laughs> also known as Christian Hogwarts. That's right, Christian fucking Hogwarts, the safety school for Bob Jones University hopefuls. <laughs> also, a bunch of people who think they can suck power out of graves holding a series of super spreader viral events on the opposite side of the country from themselves, huh? So it's, I mean, it's actually starting to sound a bit like a Harry Potter plot, except it's not derivative of some earlier fantasy story that I'm aware of. <laughs> but it does have the same amount of transphobia. No, that's so. true. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Pluses and fucking minuses. 
and in Junie to cut it the fuck out news. <laughs> in a shocking turn of events for 2020, this week, a judge has ruled that getting, spreading, and dying of the pandemic you caused is not a protected part of religious freedom, which allowed New York State to institute new rules that limit in-person worship services to as few as 10 people in COVID hotspots, or, as they're known in New York State, Orthodox Jewish Orthodox community. Jewish yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The fact that you're the only ones fucking this up so bad doesn't make it persecution. No, it's not. If you draw a circle on a map, and it just happens to be a 100% Orthodox Jewish area, exactly a plague epicenter, and it covers exactly zero dollars in property tax. That's not geometry being a bigot. That's nope. just data. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for those who haven't been following along, New York's Orthodox communities have been working their hardest since the pandemic start in March to make that medieval anti-Semitic rumor that the Jews started the plague a matter of fact. <laughs> and they are crushing it. Fucking rats are watching us on the news and being like, eh, little much. So they reacted to this latest round of restrictions with a week of maskless and, if I may say so myself, incredibly pale protests. I mean, they might as well have ended the march at the city's water supply. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Side note, and you can follow this rabbit hole if you want to. It's in the show notes. Part of these protests included a hilarious Jew fight between the disease spreaders and a reporter for the Jewish Insider, oh, which I'm pretty sure a Nazi puppet show would have called a little bit much, but <laughs> it's really good if you want to watch a Jew fight. It's pretty fantastic. But as I said, Judge Kiyo A. Matsumoto of Federal District Court in Brooklyn ruled in favor of sanity. So while we can't hope these communities will listen, they might at least face consequences when they don't. And that's how you know it isn't a story about Christians. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As for the Jews in question, Rabbi Chaim Dovid Zwiebel, executive vice president of the Agadath Israel, said of the ruling, quote, This ruling is disappointing, to say the least. Of course we understand the importance of taking precautionary measures against COVID-19. Well, what does of course mean to you, Chaim? <laughs> but there are ways to do so without totally disrupting our ability to use our shuls. End quote. Except no... You fucking don't. In fact, you so fucking don't. New York State had to roll back openings specifically because of you, and then you sued the state <laughs> yes. to stop them. That's the opposite of understanding the importance sure of taking is. precautionary measures against COVID. So, you know, fuck your stupid beardy face. <laughs> lemon, yeah. lemon. Oh, so your middle name rhymes with COVID. That's not making it better. <laughs> it's, it's true. But in fairness to Judaism in general... About 450 New York rabbis signed a letter that said, thank you, Governor yeah. Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio, for using data-driven, geographically-based efforts to contain the plague. Heath was right about how geometry can't be a bigot, and Eli was right about fucking their stupid face. So, yeah, And how many yeah. rabbis could there possibly be in New York? That, that's probably a significant <laughs> percentage. <laughs> lemon, lemon. And next up in headlines, in a tiny bit of good news, Kim Davis will continue getting sued for being a malignant C-word. Christian is the <laughs> <answer>. yeah. <laughs> After the Supreme Court denied her request for magical government immunity from an obscure anti-discrimination law called the 14th Amendment. She didn't want to be involved with that. Sure. Despite the court having five, soon to be six, 
Christian right bigots on it. They responded by telling Davis to go fuck her face in Latin and refused to even hear the case. But that didn't stop Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito from putting together a concurring dissension, I guess, to the nothing. The court ruled nothing. They ruled that they're not even going to rule on that. Yeah. And then Clarence Thomas wrote a little essay that said, oh, yeah, speaking of the nothing, (laughs) Christians are still being persecuted by the lack of separate gay bakeries and separate gay water fountains. I'm the only black person on the court. I'm making Thurgood Marshall proud. (laughs) End of my stupid fucking essay. And then Alito signed the card because he helped, too. (laughs) Well, yeah, or he was looking to bolster a future some of my best friends are argument. We can't honestly say which is more likely at this point. Uh, But tune in next week where both of them will really dig in on how many generations of imbeciles is enough. (laughs) They're going to get it. And uh, I think it's five. Just in case it wasn't super clear just how bigoted they are, Thomas and Alito very specifically mentioned in their nothing addendum that the Christian theocrat wing of the court is going to overturn Obergefell and let states outlaw same-sex marriage as soon as absolutely possible. They're going to try to do that. And thanks to everyone who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, yes, literally everyone who did not vote for Hillary Clinton, this is your fault, they won't even need a vote from John Roberts, Uh you know, the super woke liberal nominated by George W. Bush, who's the chief justice. And... They might be able to do the same thing with Roe v. Wade. Are going to do it. And just in case it wasn't obvious, the Congressional Free Thought Caucus and also any other reasonable people who thought about this for half a second pointed out how the same logic being used to potentially reverse Obergefell could be used to legalize discrimination against, you know, interfaith couples and interracial couples. Yeah. Right, right. And and quick, tell me how one won't lead to the other right after you're done telling me how legal exemptions around abortifacient contraceptions won't lead to legal exemptions to all birth control and how, you know, rebuilding their playground with government funds won't lead to rebuilding the pews with the same. Tell me yeah. that all together again. Three for three. And then bend over close so I can do the lemon <laughs> thing. Or, or maybe this is all just a long con for Thomas to be single again. Could be. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, he's literally part of an interracial marriage. And while we're on the subject of the First Amendment, my personal rights as an ultra-Orthodox anti-federalist are being trampled constantly (laughs) with Kim Davis, Samuel Alito, and Clarence Thomas being allowed to remain in the country. I have sincerely held beliefs about this. They're very strong. Mm -hmm. Anyone whose worldview is based on the opinion of 18th century slave owners or first century slave owners or... (laughs) Anyone who wears long sleeve T-shirts under short sleeve T-shirts sincerely has to be deported. <laughs> that's that's my sincerely I believe. Also, anyone who pronounces the T in often while we're hey, on okay, the yeah. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. Yeah. Yeah. February, fuck you. Okay, well, hey, wait, that's just the way that fucking word's pronounced, okay? <laughs> right. Yeah, these assholes are worried about a couple of dudes loving each other when Zoom weddings where they won't let you turn your camera off roam free in our country. They roam free. <laughs> also, just circling back for one last thing. According to Google, the Latin translation of fuck your face with an exclamation is puer facius vestra. With a question mark at the end. So what? Apparently, Google Translate has really strong opinions on, like, the comedic delivery of that. <laughs> and, and they prefer the more subtle, fuck your face, fuck your face. Yeah. And since the Supreme Court is going to be doing anti-democracy, 
plutocratic bigot stuff for the next few decades, thanks to those people I mentioned earlier, we're going to be firing up a SCOTUS review segment called Where Facious Vaistra. <laughs> or va- Facious Vaistra? Coming up soon. Yeah, fuck their fascia. <laughs> Not to be confused with fuck their fasciis, which is Roman Bukaki, just to be clear. Right. Or fuck their oh. feces, which is Heath's Pornhub history. Oh, there you <laughs> Weird that you would know that. <laughs> and then this is why we're here news tonight. We have a story that involves a partially naked Catholic priest, two dominatrices in corsets and high-heeled boots, a collection of unspecified sex toys, and a public obscenity charge. Nice. Two girls, one communion chalice. (laughs) Yeah, there you go, sir, yes. And it also involves the Catholic Church freaking out way the hell more than they ever have over the institutionalized kid rape protection policies. And they haven't realized why that's bad yet, apparently. Yeah, I mean, they know why they think it's bad. They're just super-duper wrong. Right, yeah, exactly. So let's <laughs> start with Trinity, Louisiana Reverend Travis Clark. If you want a visual, imagine like a younger, thinner John C. Riley who's less smiling and more trying to keep his lips from touching his teeth. He seems really worried about that contact that might happen. Yeah, uh-huh. So he'll be playing the part of partially naked Catholic priests in this story, and, and none of the stories I've seen on this say what, Partials were the naked partials, but it's got to include his dick, right? Or at least his ass, given the later obscenity charges. So apparently he's he's setting up his big kinky three-way, and he's got the sense to videotape the prostitution out of it. So good on him for that. But he did Maybe not, that. however, well, sense. have the <laughs> sense to do it in such a way that it wasn't visible from outside. Mm. So passerby called the cops and said something along the lines of, you're never going to believe how consensual the sex this Catholic priest is having looks. So the cops came by and arrested all three parties for obscenity. Come on. We stained the stained glass. Oh, just give me like a minute. Don't be a dick. Oh, those cops must have been so confused as to what to do. Right? They're like, okay, so when we find out they're fucking kids, we ignore it. So it's three consenting adults we shoot to shoot kill? It's hard. <laughs> yes. I don't... All right, so in response to this story, of course, the Catholic authorities didn't extradite Clark and hide him in Rome, which is weird because that's usually what they Mm. do when priests get in trouble for sex stuff. Argentina, something. Right, right. What's more, New Orleans Archbishop Gregory Amon called the act demonic and had the altar where it was performed removed and burned. Okay. They burned it? Well, that's what he says anyway, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Greg. Relax. Yeah, again, something they've never done for the you kid rape bonfire yeah, at your church. Exactly. Just want to point that out. That's what you did. <laughs> you inhaled the fumes. I mean, if you get pregnant for that, you're Catholic. You can't do anything about it. you got to carry it to term with the fucking nasal baby. Uh, the body has, has a way of shutting that down. Oh, good. Okay, all right. No, but it's almost like they are way more upset about this virtually legal, all but entirely victimless crime, which would be... Weird if they're still selling themselves as some kind of moral arbiter or something. I think they must have given that up. That's strange. Along the way, yeah. left that one behind. I heard, by the way, side note on this, that one of the, the doms is actually, like, in big trouble because of this. Like, they got charged, but they're also, like, their safety and their well-being is in big trouble. And it's like a GoFundMe up because the whole thing was shenanigans. Like, somebody just, like, sneaked up to the side of the church. Like, you wouldn't have seen it from the street. They, like poked their head in and then called the cops and it's kind of fucked up Mm. and there's like a GoFundMe for, you know, the actual victims of this, which are these two doms who are having their livelihood taken away. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's no fun. 
I do like the idea of some old lady sticking her head in, though, and being like, those women are attacking Father Montgomery. <laughs> 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 oh, please, help. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah. Amazing. They were tickling his buddy. <laughs> and in Mo Child Left Behind News. About 400 years ago in May of 2018, when we learned that our government was stealing and sometimes neglecting to death the children of people who had traveled hundreds of miles to come here for help. Well, the New York Times remembers, and this week they released an expose proving what we already knew, namely that the Trump administration was entirely aware of and totally okay with the child separation policy at the border. Yeah. We need to take away children no matter how young is the quote the expose leads with. That's Rod Rosenstein, by the way, in, in case anybody mistook not corrupt enough for Trump with not corrupt. Yeah. Oh, you you can't say that without a mwaha. Like, we need to take away children no matter how young. Mwaha. Yeah, yeah, right. Do right. Do it. It's, yeah, right. No matter how young, well, shouldn't they be taking fetuses away from mothers? I mean, like, those are people. No, those no are their just rules. Be yeah, no, exactly. Just be <laughs> well, we learned they're taking ovaries away, so they're getting them even Well, yeah, actually, yeah. wait, yeah, hold on a second. Be careful what you wish for. And you might be thinking to yourself, Eli, this is the scathing atheist. Why are you talking about that over here and not on the skeptocrat? Well, first of all, thought it might be nice, a little reminder for anyone considering not voting for Joe Biden in a couple of weeks. But secondly, as Hemant Mehta over at the Friendly Atheist pointed out, everyone at every level of this thing has justified their participation with religion. Yep. Former Attorney General Jeff Sessions quoted Romans 13 when asked about the program. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said it was, quote, very biblical to enforce very the law. Very biblical to enforce the law. Exactly. When asked where in the Bible it said it was okay to take children away from their mothers. Mike Pence used the Bible to defend concentration camps. And, of course, the entire time, evangelical Christians make up this administration's unmovable base. Yeah. Yeah, look, even if we set aside the parts about smashing baby heads against rocks and beating slaves unconscious, the Bible still has a lot more ambiguity than you'd normally want in an ethical code. <laughs> Hey, Moses, can you read that back to me? I feel like that last sentence might justify concentration camps. <laughs> Which is actually something I'm definitely going to create. So, you know what? Never mind. I'm God. I'm sure it's going to be great. Right, yep. right. Yeah. Absolutely. And while we wonder why nobody's written a book about how these evangelical Christians keep making things worse for all of us, we're going to pause for a quick word from our second sponsor this week, Hymns. And so I say to her, why would you put pictures of your feet for free on Facebook, but not sell me ones that I request. Yeah, she's weird. Thank you. That's weird, right? Ge that gentlemen, is, is weird. here's mm -hmm. the check. And uh, how was everything today? Nah. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I think we'd like our money back. Yep. You'd like your money back. Yeah, I'm afraid to say we just weren't happy with the results of this meal. Results of the meal, exactly. Well, apologies, gentlemen. You can't have a refund if you're not happy. You can with 4 .com. What's 4 .com? Great question. Uh, it's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Yeah, they offer prescription solutions backed by science. Plus, no more awkward in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy lines. And today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. 
Just go to forhims.com slash scathing. That's forhims.com slash scathing. Disclaimer. Full refund of price paid available for the first 90 day supplies. Refund request must be made between 90 and 180 days after the product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash scathing. Well, that sounds very good, gentlemen, but I'm afraid we don't have that policy here. Fine, fine. Follow-up question. Will you sell me pictures of your feet? No. What is with people this week? Right? You're all being weird. Way weird. You guys are making it weird. Unfriendly. (laughs) Hi, I'm Nikki from Minnesota. Scathing was the first podcast I discovered after leaving a lifetime of Pentecostal indoctrination at the age of 29. For me, hearing topics that had formerly been taboo, being treated with derision was liberating and helped me discover who I was outside the cult. I can't thank all of you enough for being such an integral part of my deconversion and for just being there when I needed someone the most. Happy 400th show all. Hi, this is Katie Hill. My pronouns are she, her. One of my favorite memories about skating atheist, other than Heath's laugh, which cracks me up every time, is sharing the diatribes and songs with certain of my friends who are either atheist as well or are questioning whether they believe in God and sitting there laughing as Noah goes off on someone or as Anna sings one of her hilarious songs. Hi, this is Emery Sheher. I found this podcast three years ago when I first deconverted. It helped me feel not so alone in the small rural town that I was living in at the time. You made me feel seen and brought me to realize that my anger that I was feeling wasn't completely misplaced. But I especially want to thank Eli. Your openness and advocacy in regards to mental health have really helped me a lot. I just wanted to thank you all. Love you guys. And I love this community so much. This is April Poff wishing the whole Piat family a happy 400th episode. My favorite memory comes from way back in episode three, when Noah and Lucinda share their beautifully romantic origin story. Here's to many more Thursdays with Anna, Eli, Heath, Lucinda, and Noah. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It's a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. With Amy Coney Barrett poised to shit all over RBG's legacy, the news has been full of talk about abortion and the fate of Roe versus Wade. And one of the side effects of doing what we do is that you're never all that happy about job security. Most everything in the news has been terrifying and depressing and way too easy to make Margaret Atwood comparisons to. But I did want to highlight one of the bright spots, and that comes to us from Democratic Senator Gary Peters from Michigan. So in case you haven't heard the powerful personal testimony he shared with Elle magazine, I should summarize his story. See, back in the 80s, he and his wife were expecting their second child. But about four months into the pregnancy, they got bad news and learned that the fetus wouldn't survive the birth. And the same hospital that told them that also told them that they couldn't do an abortion because it was against their policy. And while he doesn't specifically say Catholic hospital, those are the only ones with that policy. So his wife was sent home with little more than a pat on the back and a good luck with your miscarriage. Well, she fails to have a prompt miscarriage, and that puts her health at risk. What's more, it seriously endangers her potential to have more kids in the future. 
So they apply for a special exemption to the hospital's no abortion policy, and they're turned down. Because fuck what's best for her, and fuck the fact that it's a non-viable fetus. Her suffering was obviously part of God's plan. Well, eventually, Peters managed to get his wife into a different hospital where they were willing to help her. But that isn't an option for everyone. And if and when they confirm Mega Karen to the Supreme Court, it'll get that much harder. And when Peters was asked why he shared his story, he said he wanted to remind people that this isn't some extreme circumstance. People deal with issues like this all the time. And for a look at where he's headed, I suppose we should bounce over to Italy real quick for a terrifying story. See, abortion is technically legal there, but most doctors and nurses are terrified to perform them since Catholics own an even higher percentage of the hospitals there and won't employ former abortionists. And we learned this past week that even when a woman does manage to procure an abortion, the church might still find a way to publicly shame her. You see, Catholic churches have been offering to take the fetal remains off the hands of clinics who would otherwise have to pay to dispose of it. And once they have it, they bury it with a tiny little cross for a grave marker that includes the name of the woman whose abortion is buried there. As one of the victims of this despicable practice said, quote, I can't tell you what a horrendous feeling it is to find a cross with your own name on it, end quote. And don't worry about us women. I'm sure we'll be fine even after the new SCOTUS strips away our rights. After all, we're the majority. Women can just band together. And I'm sure that female activists will focus on important stuff like this rather than sending angry emails to Frank's Red Hot castigating them for putting out a commercial where somebody says, I put this bleep on everything. Oh, wait, this just in. I can go fuck myself. Until Amy Coney Barrett makes that illegal, too, I guess. And while we wait for that, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines, in Beatitude Adjustment News. Fantastic. We might just get our first millennial saint coming up soon. And I can't even. I can't even. (laughs) (laughs) Meh. Yeah. uh, Agree, actually. Meh. You know what? It's meh. Millennial. The Catholic Church (laughs) officially beatified Italian dead kid Carlo (laughs) Acutis for his role in dying of leukemia at age 15 in 2006 and then curing the pancreas of a little boy in Brazil in 2013. Hashtag YOLO. (laughs) Yolt. Whatever. (laughs) He's now the youngest person in the modern era to achieve beatification, which is step four out of five in becoming a saint. He's almost there. Well, you know, if his devil's advocate gets access to his browser history, I don't think he's going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but he was saying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, the whole time. So, so. There you go. Fair. So, here's how Carlo got all the way up to the final step. He died and then hung out for the the five-year waiting period they have, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. That's when the ghost of a future saint just sits there in heaven for five years, kind of in a snit, just waiting to get their Hall of Fame vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? Right. Really? No Come on, I'm Derek Jeter. This is his first ballot. This is obvious. Fuck. Then... They become a servant of God if the official panel gathers evidence and finds enough holiness. Uh, I think you need eight um, holiness units. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. Holinesses. Okay. <laughs> then the Pope looks at your score, hopefully of eight or more, and decides if you were just a regular servant of God or a venerable servant of God. If you were venerable, then you have to perform a miracle to get beatified. 
and then you have to do it again to get canonized all the way. So fingers crossed for uh, a really sick kid so Carlo can make that second one happen. <laughs> Sorry, Keith, I want to clarify. According to their system, any old body can perform one miracle? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. While dead, yeah. but not two. Well, yeah, well, so two, one kid's pancreatic cancer going into remission could just be a coincidence, but another different thing that happens with a non-zero frequency happening elsewhere in an unrelated way at some other unspecified time, like, what are the odds that that would yeah. also Yeah, happen? No, yeah, that's big data at that point. You yeah. get a sample size thing, you know, <laughs> N equals two. Now it's serious. So... The first few steps were pretty easy for Carlo. Apparently, he was already doing miracle-related stuff while he was alive, even though none of that counts. He ran a website that recorded all the miracles that were happening all over the world. Well, so do all of us, really. Yeah, I was too. So there you go. Fuck you. He also taught old Italian priests how to make websites and program their VCRs. Oh, yeah. And thanks to Noah's story, we know what they did with that information. So. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that second thing with the websites and the VCRs, that's pretty fucking miraculous. Yeah. No, that's so true. I'm thinking that's why God killed Carlo with blood cancer, so that he could then die and then eventually cure a different kid that that God was also trying to kill but didn't quite get done. Yeah. I, no word on which miracles the Brazilian kid was going to perform as a ghost that got blocked by Carlo like an asshole, but <laughs> there you have it. Well, right, because like, at this point, all we did was trade an Italian kid for a Brazilian kid. Yeah. Right? We're not even in the positive yet. I, I, I just, I, I see why they <laughs> insist on a second miracle. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting ranking of those two countries ethnically by Noah. I, I think I agree I, with I it. Brought it. I brought it back to zero, you know, <laughs> minus one, plus one, Heath. What were you do, what, how, how did you do the math? Right. But we all agree that there are countries where it would the, be a there's, positive. There's better and worse. Yeah, <laughs> of course. One, I mean, Italy was on the Nazi team. They're forever a minus. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's official. And just in case this whole thing wasn't silly enough already, we got to see a... Very solemn ceremony at an old church in Assisi, along with the unveiling of a painting of Carlo. But <laughs> it's a painting of a fucking selfie from yep, like yep. 2001 with Carlo wearing a bright red 90s starter jacket. It looks it's a painting. You could have put him in anything. Church. It's like someone made a velvet painting of Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and in Hail Satan news, short of getting Amy Coney Barrett to say her own name backwards and thus banishing herself back to her own dimension, the last hope for abortion rights might just be Satan. Satan? Satan. Yeah, uh-huh. Satan. As this week, the Satanic Temple has officially asked the Supreme Court to overturn Missouri's medically unnecessary abortion laws because it violates the Satanic principles of bodily autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, this is what we've been reduced to. We're going to have to make, like, the church of demonstrable shit if we want, like, reality to get a seat at the fucking table. Yeah. Yep. And we got to really believe it, too. Sincerely, yeah. Yeah. As it stands right now, in Missouri, if a woman wants an abortion, she is required to wait three days, has to be given a booklet that says life begins at conception, and has to be given the option of an ultrasound in the hopes that it will guilt her out of having an abortion. 
all of which violate any reasonable definition of bodily autonomy or, you know, basic ethics. But basic ethics, yeah. This is America. And unless your invisible friend sincerely holds your wants and needs, you can go fuck yourself. Right. And and the problem is the courts are rejecting the argument from the Satanic Temple because you are technically allowed to get an abortion at the end of all that bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely what the Supreme Court's gonna say too. On the other hand, that does mean blue states can start making laws that say, I don't know, uh, idiots can't go to church during a pandemic without a one-year waiting period and <laughs> without reading on the origin of species first yeah, and <laughs> also getting some nonsense other medical test of some kind. Let's call it colonoscopy. So okay. we're doing one year, yeah. got to read Darwin, colonoscopy, aggressive colonoscopy, like clumsy colonoscopy. Well, so now that uh, like I was going to say COVID test, but I feel like we can combine the two, right? Like. <laughs> we keep going long enough. The sinuses are there somewhere, right? Yeah, we'll get them. Yeah. We'll get them. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, luckily, the Satanic Temple's invisible friend, Satan, does want women to have bodily autonomy. And they've spent the last five years trying unsuccessfully to get this law overturned. Well, last week, after rejection, after rejection, the Satanic Temple officially filed its petition for the writ of Socio Aurora. Nope, nope. A.K.A. letter that asks very nicely if all the religions can have magic exceptions to the laws. And, yes, as Heath said, in all likelihood, the Supreme Court will probably refuse to hear the case. But, as Hemant Mehta over at the Friendly Atheist has pointed out, they might also hear the case and use it as an opportunity to approve more laws like Missouri's. Yeah. Because you're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, and if you've been paying attention, they fucking are. It's nice to stretch out beforehand. Well, yeah, and, and, and well, and the great thing for them is if they stretch out enough, they don't have to overturn Roe v. Wade, right? They can save themselves the trouble, let Susan Collins hide behind the fact that they never technically overturned it or whatever. But you know, you just take, you know, knock out all the foundations from beneath it. But at least they weren't taking too many notes, right? <laughs> Busy enough that free paper they gave her. Next up in headlines: Republican, Christian, and bigot are doing a whole lot of correlation these days. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that being said, uh, that's the end of my thought. Proving causation doesn't really matter at a certain point. So, you know, show me one of those three things, and I'll tell you to stop showing me bigots. It's a weird thing to do. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be showing me bigots. But, but I'll be able to show you the other two almost every time, especially if we make it proud bigot, and that's worse. And that statistical relationship was on full display again this week, thanks to bigots proudly and happily Republicaning, Christianing, and bigoting straight into recording devices in these particular cases. That includes a North Carolina pastor literally shouting white power at a journalist after his speech at a Trump rally, and an Illinois state representative campaigning on her platform of, I'm white and not gay, vote for me. (laughs) Hmm, 2020, the year of saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, all, all we're saying is that you can only put out so many collaboration albums before you're just a band, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start with Baptist pastor and Christian right activist Jesse Hersey. During a Trump rally in North Carolina last week, he gave a speech about how he's a Christian first and a Republican second. Everybody went nuts. And then after the rally... A bunch of the cult, including Hersey, started driving around town on dirt bikes and pickup trucks like the fucking Cobra Kai, <laughs> waving Trump flags and honking their horns. And at one point, he drives right past a journalist 
slows down, stares directly into her camera, and yells, white power. So, I guess it turns out he was a bigot first, mm-hmm. Christian second, Republican third. Yeah. Uh, but really all kind of tied. So he could fit perfectly into my correlation thing. So, once the video got released, the young Republicans of Alamance County, who organized that Trump rally, they announced that Hersey was immediately removed from the organization. But uh, no word on removing everyone else screaming white power and waving Confederate flags. Either way, Hersey responded by claiming that his words had nothing to do with racism. Really? Uh, Okay. White power. What I love is that they're like, look, you're driving around, you're waving the symbol of slavery. That's one thing. But you don't just say what it represents, (laughs) literally. (laughs) That's too far. Yeah, right. No, yeah. At a certain point, it's hard to believe that the rest of his group was just listening to the baseline, right? Like, (laughs) guys, it's all... The same. <laughs> and that brings us to Illinois State Representative Amy Grant, who represents District 42, just west of Chicago. Most of that area is pretty solid blue, but this particular district is the home of Wheaton College. That's the evangelical school that fired a Christian professor and also, by chance, the only black woman to ever receive tenure since they opened in 1860. They fired her after she publicly renounced all the Islamophobia from prominent Christian leaders that followed the shooting in San Bernardino, California in 2015. Wheaton is also definitely the eponym for Josh Wheaton, the main character of God's Not Dead, who got his evil atheist philosophy professor to cry and become Christian during a debate. I hate that I know all that. As soon as I heard this, I was like, oh, Wheaton College, I know so much about that. Great. Hell, you hate that you know that. Heath, you know the plot of the two follow-up movies and the near-complete filmography of the director. I mean, get on board, man. Technically. Does he? Because Sorbo didn't become Christian during the debate. He ran out and became Christian after being fatally wounded in a car accident afterwards. I'm sorry, if I'm going to be a pedant about anything, right? It's just our job. It is our job. (laughs) Anyway, that's the voting base that elected Amy Grant. So I guess it's no surprise that she said the following on a recorded fundraising call about her Democratic challenger, Ken Magia Beal, who happens to be black and gay. Quote, he's just another one of the Cook County people. Just to be clear, Cook County is Chicago, so that would be Illinois white speak for the N-word. Almost exactly. She continued... (laughs) That's all we need is another person in the Black Caucus. Okay, that's just a plain English synonym for it right there. Yep. Yeah, not even easier to translate. Continuing one more time, I think he's afraid to come into the district. Not because he's black, but because of the way he talks. He's all LGBTQ. He wants to work for the chronically ill. What? A- end quote about why he's bad. What? Anyway... <laughs> Give me money. This is a recorded fundraising call. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that recording got released, and somebody explained to Amy Grant how that's a bad thing. So she issued a statement that said, those comments do not reflect my heart or my faith. What? Don't they? But uh, yes, the fuck they do. They literally do. (laughs) Those comments actually soft-pedaled your faith, if we're being technical. Really? Yeah. She later told a local paper... I made a clumsy statement that does not reflect how I feel. Like she tripped and fell into the N-word. Well, Magia Beal had an amazing response to all this. Of course, he explained why she's obviously a piece of shit, but also pointed out that she left him a phone message during which she literally read that one-line statement and hung up. What? She, she called him, got no answer, and left a voicemail like a fucking serial killer. Who leaves voicemail? And she was like, 
hello, black gay person. Those comments did not reflect my heart or my faith. Okay, bye. <laughs> like reading off paper. My heart and faith both would have just used the N-word. I toned it down. You're welcome. Bye. Yep. <laughs> so here's what happens next for these two bigots. Oh. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Mm. Nothing happens. That white power video will have no effect on Hersey's job as a pastor. And that's pretty much the only job where that's how it works, I would like to think anyway. Yeah. Well, except maybe Republican politician. That's another good counterexample. Amy Grant probably won't lose any votes for this. The recording of her basically saying the N-word could be her next campaign ad. She could just run that. This is ridiculous. We need to gerrymander all of white Christianity into one state and then <laughs> admit D.C. and Puerto Rico and all the territories just to make them matter even less. <laughs> yeah. God. Two votes. And in but what was she wearing news tonight? Professional zealot and real-world human who manages to have an 8-bit haircut, Rick Wiles, God. offered a swift condemnation after learning about the foiled plot by Christian terrorist groups to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, which would have been admirable if he'd managed to condemn the correct side of the kidnapping plot. Huh. Instead, he, he got that wrong? Yeah, he <laughs> condemned Whitmer for compelling these otherwise swell fellas to want to kidnap her. Wow. Okay. I feel like Rick has a bet going with Alex Jones about who can say the most evil shit, and they've just both been winning forever, and they have no idea how to stop <laughs> yeah, the bet. <laughs> they never said <laughs> by a certain date or anything. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, this acidic bit of victim blaming came on his show, which is the fucking holy Roman imperially titled True News, where he routinely incites Christian extremists to violence. And instead of taking this story as a warning that maybe he should dial back his fucking rhetoric a bit, he doubled down on it. Quote, what are you doing that drives middle-class, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens to think about kidnapping you? What are you doing? What? Are your policies so extreme, so radical, that you're pushing people over the line to say, we have to get that woman out of the governor's office? End quote. Yeah, no, that's a solid point about the law-abiding kidnappers. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, more importantly, I'm pretty sure Rick Wiles' entire career just invited us to kidnap him. Is that what happened? <laughs> that's what I heard. And do crazy stuff to him. I heard yeah. crazy aggressive mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Too. yeah, in Coach Dave's Airbnb. Oh, a shit. plan <laughs> is coming together, people. <laughs> Listen, you're getting this colonoscopy and a COVID test, man. Two for one. Yeah, and, and all of this involves Heath's taint as well. It's great. All right. <laughs> now, we should linger here for a second because... How does it involve my taint? Well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Tell you. <laughs> I, I think once we have Rick Wiles kidnapped, everybody knows how it involves your tank. Come on. <laughs> Even Rick um, Wiles. <laughs> he's like, he's taking out his tank, isn't he? I knew he would. Oh, would. man, he's going to fuck my face. <laughs> Put the lemons lemon, away. Lemon. Just don't <laughs> lemon, lemon. All right, so I want to linger here for a second because... This is one of the most terrifying turns of the Trump presidency, and that is a high fucking bar to clear, right? And I'm not just talking about the fact that in response to a presidential directive to liberate Michigan, a domestic terrorist group plotted a way to detain their lawfully elected governor. I'm talking about the reluctance of the nation's media to call it Christian terrorism and the ease with which the scathing atheists most wanted offer theological justification for that insurrection. Right. Rick Wiles is pining for a violent Christian overthrow of American democracy, and he's doing it out loud. Mm -hmm. 
At least he's not the president? <laughs> I don't know what the For now. Is. Yeah, right. Don't jinx it. <laughs> and finally tonight, a precious baby child woke up terrified and alone in an ice bath last week. <laughs> and it's all Donald Trump's fault. It is. The president's disease-ridden body was about to shut down completely, so he kidnapped a baby from inside a uterus, yep. cut out the baby's internal organs, mm -hmm. and had them transplanted inside of him. Based on the understanding of stem cell research in pro-life propaganda, that should be the fucking headline we're <laughs> reading everywhere. What actually happened is Donald Trump and millions of other people were prevented from potentially dying thanks to some amazing medical science that involves a line of lab-created cells that were based originally on the remains of fetal tissue. And, by the way, if you listen closely, you can hear the evangelical outrage about the hypocrisy. Um, did you hear it? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> no. Did you hear it just now? <laughs> just give it a second. Sorry, I, I just I, I want to make it clear to the audience that we here at the Scathing Atheist are in favor of stem cell research, even if it does occasionally save Donald Trump's life. Wanna... <laughs> but but only because it saves other people's lives too. Otherwise, we're full on team lima bean. Hell full yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mentioned the millions of people already helped by this, but it could be so many more. If that type of research wasn't being constantly blocked and defunded by religious idiots in government who don't understand science. They also don't understand basic consequentialist morality either. Right. Just to be clear, this is not a trolley problem. Like nobody's saying we should kill a person, harvest five of their organs and try to save five lives. OK, well. Depending on the context, I actually am saying that, me personally, but pretty much nobody else is saying that. Well, unless the harvesty is Trump, in which case, like, <laughs> if you just need five hefty objects for a juggling trick you want to try, we're good. We're, yeah, we're maybe there. a good paperweight. <laughs> yeah, what right. Noah's saying is we're open. Yeah, we're open yeah, when Trump us, is the body in question. We, we're very open. But what those people are saying, the majority of them, not me, but most people are saying that fetal tissue which was about to be buried in Italy and given a headstone <laughs> without the mother's consent. That's really fucking happening right now. Or a fetal tissue that's about to get a 21-gun salute at a funeral in Texas, also <laughs> happening. Or about to get sold on Craigslist to an evil wizard by Planned Parenthood. You decide if that's happening. I saw a video. Scientists are saying, maybe we keep a few of those cells in a little baggie and save millions of lives. I don't know. And religion is saying, no. We're pro-life. Those millions of people should die. Yeah, right. Also, I don't wear a mask because it's my choice. What? You're a crispy hippo. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this is that throughout Trump's entire presidency, right, evangelicals have clung to, he's pro-life, he's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. But now that he's fucking munching fetuses like they're pork cracklings, <laughs> they're like, uh, he, um... I fear black people. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> also, crispy hippo sounds really good. Like that sounds a like a duck situation. Probably would be delicious. Like hippo. I bet it could be good, good stuff. Anyway, one Next other skeptic. One other detail. You know what other endangered species I'd like to eat? <laughs> Are they endangered? Probably. Okay, I feel bad about that. I'm gonna try it still. Anyway, one other detail. Trump was treated using a drug cocktail that was developed using lab testing that involved cells whose origin was fetal kidney tissue from the 1970s. And if there's anyone who cannot afford to look more like an old fetus, it's Donald Trump. So there's that. <laughs> but even worse, the fetus came from 
the Netherlands. That's right. <gasps> Donald Trump is a Dutch baby, and there's nothing he can do about it. I'm so happy about this. I'm sure he's furious. I want to see the long-form birth certificate, and I'm never going to stop talking about it. <laughs> And while we additionally wish that there was a new book available in the Kindle store that has a whole subsection about how religious people get in the way of stem cell research, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Crispy hippo ribs. And when we come back, we'll gaze at each other's navels so it isn't weird. My favorite scathing atheist moment is sitting at the dining room table and hearing my then five-year-old daughter run around the corner and say... We come from Frankie Monkey Man! Now go vote and let's take this country back from them. I'm George Romacca from the podcast Does This Still Work? It's not a funny memory, but it is a powerful one. In January 2015, after the Charlie Hebdo massacre, Skating Atheist released its 100th episode. In that episode, Noah described the victims as satirists killed in the line of duty, then sang a song that he wrote in tribute to them. It was a cathartic healing moment brought about by Noah and Heath, audibly expressing things that I was feeling, and it stuck with me as such. Hi all, Paget here, also known as Tron Villain on the God Awful Movies wiki page. Anyway, love the show from Noah's diatribes to Lucinda's Twim and Heath's Jumanji, but my favorite moment is going to have to be episode 59, an important moment in the Eli Bosnick story, in which he reviewed the extremely God Awful movie God's Not Dead. To everyone in the Puzzle and a Thunderstorm crew, thanks for the amazing work. Hey guys, this is Ian. I just want to thank you guys for um, helping me get through my father's passing and really learning that it's okay to be angry at people that try and take advantage of you whenever you're in that mournful state. Hi, I'm Jeffrey from Orlando. At the 2016 Reason Rally, where I knew no one, I was leaving the rock concert and heard Heath's voice. I had no idea what any of the guys looked like, so I just loudly exclaimed, Hey, I know that voice! The three guys stopped and took the time for a chat and a selfie, and as they left, they were back in their own world and exactly who they were on the show. They were genuine, and from that moment on, I've held them in the highest regard. Thank you for all your words, insight, justified rage, and most importantly, the laughs. Because as Noah can attest to, a laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why, sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. As we might have mentioned, this week marks the Scathing Atheist's 400th episode. We switched from a half hour to an hour back on episode 70, so that is a total of 365 and a half hours of podcasts, which does not sound like much when I put it that way, especially when I consider I put like 30 hours plus in every goddamn episode for almost eight years. I was kind of hoping that when I said the number, it would sound really big, but um, sure didn't. Anyway, it's, it's been a lot of episodes. We've made a lot of memories along the way, so in honor of yet another driving around a little more so that the odometer turns back to zeros type episode, we are going to share our top 10 memories from the first 400 episodes of The Scathing Atheist, starting with number 10. And I'm going to start off with a recent and rather self-serving one. For my first memory, I'm going to go with writing Outbreak, A Crisis of Faith, How Religion Ruined Our Global Pandemic, available now in the Kindle store with print copies coming soon and the Audible version coming less soon but still soon-ish. Because, look, I, I've loved to write since I was a kid. I wrote my first novel when I was 13, and it was really, really bad. But that did not stop me from continuing to write ever since. Oh, you hear that, everyone? I'm going to be a bitchin'-ass writer in 37 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it, wait, how old am I in this? Man. <laughs> but the difference on this one is that I was writing something this time that I knew other people were going to read 
And I kind of do that every week when we script a show. But writing a book that was going to be actually read afterwards got me higher than any trip to Colorado ever has. Yeah. And I want to take a moment to say, because it would be weird for Noah to say this, but the book fucking fucks. Right? Like, I, I said this when Noah gave Heath and Andrew the first draft to read over for notes and then awkwardly realized I was on the call as well. And so he said I could also read it. But I was <laughs> largely expecting this book to be a long diatribe, right? But I actually think it makes a really important argument that not enough people are hearing that at least part of what has made COVID special in the United States is religion and its effects. It's it's a fantastic book. I can't wait for people to read it. Well, thanks. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, honestly, it's worth the eight ninety nine for the Kindle version just for the opening essay by Andrew, where he sort of lays out the legal position that we find ourselves in in modern day America and how we got there. It's really fantastic. And it's a huge, long fucking essay. So it's it's really meaty. You can really get your uh, your hands around it. So if you want to be part of our, our 10th best skating atheist memory, be sure to check the show notes uh, and pick up your copy today. <laughs> anyway, that moves us on to number nine. Launching god-awful movies. Now, admittedly, we did this before I was on scathing full-time, so timeline is a little wacky here. But for those of you who don't know the story, I found out I'd lost the career I had for seven years with just under a month's notice. You're going to say that's right. a career? Well, okay. <laughs> career? Hey, I called my job before this a career, too. I think you can get away with <laughs> Money yeah, I have a long career at TGI Fridays as a bartender, too. I just want to throw it out there. <laughs> Tough but fair, Heath Henry. Tough but fair. But yeah, I mean, I lost that job. And as I remember, I came home and told Anna, like, oh, I'm going to learn to drive and get a job with Uber. Yeah. So think of the lives we've saved. <laughs> right. Millions. Yeah, exactly. In fact, he was going to be in New York City. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. So I've been on scathing a few times at that point, And we kind of made it like a monthly thing for me to come on and talk about a Christian movie, which was great. I loved it. I loved doing it because I got to be on my favorite podcast. But when I lost my job, I sort of gave Noah and Heath a heads up. I was like, hey, I might not be able to do this as much. I got to find a new job and not die. And when the guy suggested Gam, I was honestly, I was horrified because I was positive it was going to be a massive failure. Right. My mom would pledge five bucks. I'd make a fake Patreon account, put in five bucks near the end. But that would be it. But the listeners to this podcast came through and have continued to come through in a way that means that this is what I do for a living, right? I bought a house. I had a kid without going into crippling debt. And the only reason I was able to do any of that was because of the people who listened to this show. Number eight. Okay, so one of my favorite moments about the show, but one of my favorite moments in life was waking up in a trailer. Now, it, uh, stay with me. It, it sounds like I'm in a Saw movie, but yep. I will explain. Mm -hmm. So I was living in New York City, but I always dreamed about, you know, getting out of that little town and <laughs> going to South Georgia to seek my fortune. And then it happened. Noah and Lucinda told me they had an extra room, so I quit my job. I packed up all my stuff into my car, and I moved to Waycross, Georgia. But the big transition didn't hit me until the next day. So I get there, I go to sleep, and then I wake up on an air mattress inside a trailer. And my job that day was podcaster. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I got up, I stretched, and I said out loud, I made it. <laughs> I won the game. I've arrived. 
world. Number seven. All right, so for that, I'm going to go, and I know this isn't strictly a scathing atheist memory, but it, it totally counts. The live show we did in New York City, because it was a live damn show, but it was the first time we ever recorded an episode of one of our shows live, and it was, if I'm not mistaken, the first time we ever recorded an episode of one of our shows with all of us together in a room. Yeah. Yep. I, I had no idea how the hell that dynamic was going to work out, because normally, it, look, scathing atheist is scripted so much so that I just read normally ellipses look comma right, but but Gam isn't. We just we go in with some notes, and I've got an idea of what jokes Heath wants to make, and I have an idea of what jokes Eli wants to make if I can read his spelling, and then we just have at it, and and then like we heavily edit it so it sounds like it's not a messy ass free for all. So needless to say, I was a little nervous about how that was going to translate to the stage. Right. Not to mention, we didn't know how many people wanted to see us who actually lived, lived in New York, right? Right, There was yeah. a good chance we had rented a very, very large room for three people. Well, and the other thing, too, is that we didn't know Morgan <laughs> at the time. This was, the, well, you knew him uh, a little bit, but, like, I didn't know Morgan at all. And he just kind of stepped in and he's like, hey, I'll do sound for you guys. And I'm like, yep, sure, great. <laughs> Thank you. I had no idea. Luckily, he knew what he was do fucking doing. Do you have to do sound? <laughs> is the what? Yeah. Well, and look, in a lot of ways, every possible thing went wrong. We didn't have enough seats, right? There, were the, All the chairs they promised us weren't there at first. The lighting was fucked up. The merch was fucked up. The audience was so goddamn drunk that we had two guys trying to walk up on stage and sit in Heath's lap the whole time. They, they, they brought me rounds of drinks the whole time. And that was nice, though, yeah. Eli was running around the theater constantly forgetting that his mic was wired in and there were people walking past him to try to go get more drinks because the bar was open. And it was so goddamn fun, and we've done it again every chance we get. And honestly, it's the thing I miss most since we've been in lockdown. Yeah. Amen. Number six. Skepticon! Good pick. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, Skepticon is a great conference, and I can't wait to go back. The speakers are amazing. It's run super well. We got to go with people we love. But Skepticon was also the first time we got invited somewhere we couldn't have gone ourselves. Well, and this is Skepticon Australia, so when you consider that play ride, I'd go as far as to say wouldn't have gone ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what's more, to me at least, Skepticon felt like the first time we were acknowledged by the skeptic community. Maybe it's just me, but it can sometimes feel like there's the world of sort of real skepticism, which is people who give talks and attend conferences and write books. And then we were like the podcasters in the corner making fart noises. It's our career. I would call yeah. it our career. Our <laughs> career, yeah. And we'd been to cons before, right? We'd been to ReasonCon and Reason Rally and QED, but those... those people know us and like us, right? But when Iran invited us to Skepticon, it was because... He wanted us to be part of his skeptical conference, and that was a very big deal for me. I, I love how you basically just said that Iran doesn't like us. Yeah, that was right. Because he obviously knows us. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that tracks. <laughs> well, yeah. He heard our interview at QED the year before. That's what That's, it was. That was that. We I was very <laughs> inebriated for that. I was he, sober. Well, what's amazing is that Eli was the sober one. He said he heard it. It's like, dude, he conducted it. <laughs> he interviewed <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Also, as a side note, like, my family is incredibly supportive. They loved me and rooted for me when I sold magic toys, and they love and root for me now. But they don't pretend to understand podcasting or how the hell I make any money at it. But when I told them, like, hey, me and Anna are being flown across the world to Australia to take part in a conference, I think a lot of them, like, honestly understood that this was a job and not just a stop on the road to my destination. This was the destination. So that meant a lot to me as well. Mm -hmm. Number five. 
The first reason con in Hickory, North Carolina. Oh, oh yeah. Debbie Hotball. Yeah. So, so fun. And it's extra impressive because it has so much competition. Like, we've been to QED twice. Both trips were absolutely amazing. And both included getting to hang out with Drunk Marsh on the final Sunday night, which is, like, <laughs> the greatest thing ever. And also getting to hang out with, you know, uh, drinking plenty, but somehow still completely sober Andy throughout the entire weekend <laughs> yeah, at all right. moments. <laughs> And, of course, meeting some of my favorite people of all time during those trips. Just great, great time. And, like Eli said, Skepticon in Sydney was another incredible experience, start to finish. And the other times we went to ReasonCon were great, too. Yeah. Including drinking a bottle of scotch in the back of a van with the state of Virginia as the shot clock. Oh, and drinking yeah. That bottle. Right, me up front practicing the alphabet and touching my nose just in case it get pulled <laughs> over. <laughs> it's a fumy scotch. It was Laphroaig. It can get to yeah. the front. It's, you got to be careful. Also, we drove like five hours out of our way just to get ribs from Barack Obama's favorite ribs place, 12 mm -hmm. Bunch. So good. Yeah. I asked them what their vegan options were, and they shot me. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Deserved. But ReasonCon 1 was extra special. It was the first event I ever attended as part of this job, so that was, like, extra significant. It was run beautifully by Cash, who some people might know from Atheists on Air. He's the fucking best. Love Cash. I just, like, I enjoyed him so much. I just wanted to ride off into the sunset with him on the back of his horse by the end of yeah, it. Like, right? this, like, cowboy figure. I also met Deb and Vin and their amazing dogs that that weekend for the first time, I wrestled with those dogs for most of the weekend. Mm -hmm. That was really the highlight for me. And that Saturday night, there was this amazing, amazing moment. Everyone was drinking exactly as much as they wanted at this open bar. And a bunch of us just happened to sit down together in a big circle at the end of that night and have this long, organic, open, honest conversation. Everybody just seemed to like open up at the same time and realized we were an actual community that counts. And everybody felt like, oh, I could just, like, be honest about the things I think. And these people get me. It was, it was a really amazing moment. I mean, maybe it was maybe it was just me feeling that for the first time because it was the first time I did an event like that. But it seemed like lots of people had the same experience. It was really yeah, quite a unique feeling. Really says a lot about atheist conferences that of all the ones that we've been to, that conversation probably stands out in my mind more than any other thing that we've done. That was done. fantastic. And we've done a lot of drugs oh, we met at Bobby them C and, and Miss Ashley. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby yeah, yeah. C got some of that on on, on his uh, recorder, actually. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, made it into a, fun. a chunk of the podcast. Yeah. Number four. Losing my job, which is an odd thing to put on uh, as one of my top memories because it was fucking <laughs> miserable. Losing your career? It was. It was a career that I loved. I'd done it for over a decade. I had dedicated a ton of my life to being the best in the world at that fucking job. I mean, look, I, I did that like 50 hour work week. Sure. But then I went home and I practiced at the thing I did. I lived in a fucking RV for years that was owned by the company. I, I would get online when I, on my off time and talk to other people about it. And, and then I would practice it more. And then the company hit a rough patch and fired me and my wife because we were the most expensive employees they had. Because we've been there so long. And if it wasn't for this podcast and the listeners who carried me through that time, this would be one of them stories that ends with me asking her honor for leniency. <laughs> right? <laughs> but instead, it gets to be a story of me being tossed into the pool and learning to fucking swim. Because at the time, this podcast was less than a year old. Right? It was about this time of year, actually, when this all happened. It was, it was fucking Halloween night, actually. And Patreon didn't even exist back then. The only income we had coming in through, the, through this show was coming in through PayPal 
it, it wasn't enough to live on, but it was enough for me to say, like, fuck it, let's give it a try. And with a new focus on how to monetize the motherfucker at 24 hours a day to dedicate it, we made a job of it. Six months later, it was Heath's full-time job. A year after that, it was Eli's full-time job. And so instead of having this really sad ending, the ending of the me getting fired story is me watching Google Trends for a year and a half and then popping a fucking cork when scathing atheist line climbed over the trend for my former company, <laughs> which <laughs> went out of business almost immediately after that because the owners realized too late that my wife and I actually ran their fucking company and they had no clue how to do it once we were gone. So, Don't they sell, like, scrap plastic now <laughs> on a website or something? You can yes. buy a blanket. Still <laughs> Whatever right. they can find. Yeah. Um, also, to prove to everybody how bitter I'm not, Fuck you in the ass with a stick, Steve, and not a strong one that's going to come back out in one piece. Just while we're at it. Let's buy all the blankets. <laughs> Number three. The pajama party in California last oh, year. Oh, so yes! fun. So fun. That whole trip was so much fun. I got to go around Northern California all week with my favorite people, eating and drinking as hard as I can. I met Tim in person for the first time that week. Actually, on the airplane on the way there, like we met in the oh, nice. aisle of the airplane <laughs> that we were both on. And then he let me win at arm wrestling, which yes, was amazing. Very sweet of him. Thomas came down to meet us and brought code names, which might be my new favorite war game of all time. <laughs> and we also beat Thomas and Andrew at Trivial Pursuit yep. by rigging the questions and rigging the dice rolling we yep. would also have to have done, <laughs> have to, have done to make them too. get only super-duper hard questions that yep. apparently they have in Trivial Pursuit. I don't, I don't <laughs> think they had any super-duper hard questions, but I, they, <laughs> weird, Thomas and Andrew got all these super-duper <laughs> hard questions. Yeah. Uh -huh. Anyway, we won. And <laughs> we got to, okay, in fairness to Andrew, he, he, he made us his homemade breakfast. We got to have the Andrew breakfast, which was oh, aggressively good. It was so ridiculous. Good. I woke up that day like Bugs Bunny getting floated out of my bed by carrot fumes, except it was every amazing breakfast flavor at once that Andrew had going out there, plus some new ones I didn't even know about. Andrew's bouncing around the kitchen at like cartoon speeds doing oh, the salt yeah. bay thing over all these mm -hmm. plates with different colored ingredients I didn't know about. And then... We got to share the whole experience a little bit with that virtual pajama party at the end of the weekend. It was the best time ever. Yeah. It really was. It really was. You know it's a good trip when the big takeaway at the end was like, hey, next time we do this, let's not plan a bunch of shit so we have more time to dick around together at the Airbnb, right? Yeah. 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 2021, baby. 2021. Uh, let's hope. Or <laughs> 2025, baby. 2025. Number two. Vulgarity for charity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I speak for all of us when I say that this is when the podcast did something that we never dreamed it would, right? We, this is when the podcast changed the lives of other people. I think if you sat us down seven-ish years ago and asked us to write out what this show was remotely possible of doing, none of us would have listed raising almost a half a million dollars for charity. Yeah. Well, it, certainly not something the writers over at God friended me would have ever imagined, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and from the first year we did it, where we thought, you know, we'd help out Song Tabo with a couple hundred extra dollars to the most recent drive, we've just been blown away by our listeners' generosity. But Vulgarity for Charity is about more than the dollar amount we've raised, at least for me. It's about the lasting effect this podcast has had on the lives of people who have never and will never listen to this podcast. 
Yeah, and would be really pissed off at it if they did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a kid got like the special medical glasses he needed to see the blackboard because of vulgarity for charity. Dozens of people kept their homes, their cars, their livelihood, and they will never know why. Hell, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of them give Jesus the credit, but that doesn't matter. They got what yeah, they needed because. <laughs> Assholes. Yeah. But I mean, seriously. Lemon, lemon. <laughs> lemon, lemon. But seriously, they got what they needed because they're human beings who needed help and we could help them get it. And if that's not the goal of humanism, I don't know what is. Number one. Meeting April. Oh, April. Oh, yeah. So, look, I, I should offer at least a little of the backstory. So, April was one of the first ooh, listeners ooh. I ever interacted with. You say right. April again. Okay. Oh, I guess. <laughs> so, like, among the first dozen listeners I ever spoke with online, so she, she sent an email back in the single-digit episode days to take issues with something we had said about gun control, and I told her to fuck off. Or, actually, right, I told her normally I would tell her to fuck off, but I was reserving that fuck off for later, or some asshole shit like that. <laughs> you kept the fuck off in your pocket in the email? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right. But that was the start of something wonderful. Because I'm pretty sure normally she'd have told me to fuck off, too, and she had one in her pocket. Gotcha. Anyway, April was also one of the first people that ever donated to the show back in the pre-Patreon days. She would send us a small donation through PayPal pretty much every month, right? Not Nothing big, just whatever she could spare. And her recurring donations were one of the main things that really made me think that this would be a viable business. It, it wasn't huge, but it paid for a trailer real easily. Yeah. Well, eventually, yeah, eventually. But it wasn't until we had been doing the show for something like six years that we actually had a chance to meet her. Like, by the time we actually met her in person, we declared her our favorite listener. I had dedicated a book to her. But she's a bit of an introvert. She didn't really feel comfortable in big groups. So it took her a while to feel confident coming to one of our shows or to a conference. And now she's been to several. This year we managed to coax her all the way from Virginia to L.A., right before we learned that COVID-19 was already in a state of community transmission, especially on the West Coast. Probably a bad thing there, yeah. but... Right you know. after the U.S. government learned that. Well, right yeah, before right, right. We but before we Thanks. had, yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but but look, look, every time we have a chance to, uh, to meet our listeners and complete the circle, it's an honor. And I love meeting all you guys, but the ones that mean the most to me are the ones that had to work for it. Because I'm the same way, right? I, I, I'm a huge fan of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I went to three of their conferences, and I never worked up the guts to introduce myself and to thank them in person and to meet them. So, like, when we meet a listener who's obviously not comfortable around people or who is visibly nervous, somebody who I know had to fight through personal discomfort just because they wanted to thank us for doing this show, I'm fucking honored. Yeah, absolutely. So... Here's to another 400 episodes of Great Memories, and here's to some more live events whenever travel becomes a thing again. In the meantime, I've got to figure out what an assless mask costume looks like. Right? Hmm. It's like one hand clapping. <laughs> had been listening to Scathing Atheist for a while, and then at the beginning of last year, the Elia tribe dropped. It really struck me as what made me a patron, and it's my favorite moment from Scathing Atheist.
This is Jaden Eli Maurice from South Carolina saying that the scathing atheist has been a symbol of podcasting excellence for many years. Our incomparable hosts have provided us infidels with some amazing moments, skits, and bits, most notable of which might be any time they do an impersonation of Ray Comfort. I've tweeted at Ray to desperately try to get him to do something headline-worthy, no dice so far, but I'll keep trying. Congratulations on 400 episodes, guys. Here's to many, many more. Thanks for giving us immeasurable amounts of laughter. You've helped me get through some rough times, and we may never know. Who was really lying about Soho? Hi, Skating Atheist. This is Miguel from Mexico. Congratulations on 400 episodes. I wanted to thank you for being an example of the kind of atheist that I would like to be. So I wanted to mention what I've learned from you guys. From Heath, I've learned we should always try to be nerds on what we're passionate about. From Noah, I've learned that it's okay to be angry sometimes. And from Eli, I've learned the importance of being kind and empathetic towards others. Also, it's very important to make fun of ourselves. So here's to hundreds of more episodes. It's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that comes after the last part. And while we'd normally use this segment to talk about specific stuff that people had recently written to us about, with this being our 400th episode, we figured maybe we could tackle a few of the questions we've heard most often over the past eight years. All right. First up, and definitely our top piece of feedback, you guys laugh too much at your own jokes. It's annoying. I wouldn't say top piece. Okay. <laughs> definitely not. But Got it. Got, got it. Heard your message loud and clear. So, without further ado, we'd like to present the Scathing Atheist Not Enjoying Our Jobs edition. Go. Ooh. Today, some Christians did very stupid stuff. They are unattractive. Indeed. Barely. Unattractive. Stupid. This week, Hillary Morgan Farrow relies on a lack of higher education in her audience to convince them to rename the ideas they're afraid of postmodernism. Sounds very harmful. It is. I don't know about you guys, but I want to listen to at least 400 episodes of Oh, that. hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounded no fun, and that's what I loved about it. <laughs> All right. Don't laugh. Uh, next up, <laughs> Atheist Crusher. <laughs> Shut up. It up. <laughs> You're wrecking it. You're wrecking it. It's not it. funny. This is serious. Zero show record we got going. All right. Next up, very important, Atheist Crusher 419 at gmail.com would like Noah to debate him. No. Okay. Does it help that his message was in all caps and used several outdated slurs? It does not. Okay. Well, that cleared like half the inbox. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a listener the other day sending me audio because she had made her boss listen to an episode of our show and he's like hyper Christian. So she kept sending me audio of him walking back into her office going like, and another thing about how he wanted to debate me. It was fucking hilarious. Do it. (laughs) No. Also, we got an iTunes review from totally not a Trump supporter 47 who said, this show isn't about (laughs) atheism anymore. All they talk about is Trump. Yeah, another good point. Sorry for letting the Nazi theocrat in charge of our government dominate the show, which is about fighting against theocracy. That's our bad. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) luckily for you, we're in a restructuring mood. So we're pleased to present the Scathing Atheist Trumpless Edition. Go. Uh, Okay, so this week in the... um... Nope, nope. Uh, There is no news. Oh, you're right. Right. To talk about. Okay, uh, so uh, let's kick things over to my lovely wife. Yeah, we wife definitely who's... can't do to him. Oh, obviously. Yeah. Um. <sighs> hey, uh, God mm-hmm. isn't real. No. No, he is not. Nope, not, not real. So, hmm. Oh, oh, you know what? I think I get it. I think I get it. What, what, what? What? Okay, th- 
This is for people who want to feel smart but don't want their ideas to have any real meaning or do anything good for the world. They just want to be right about the question of whether or not God exists. Mm. That's it. Oh, and they want their atheism to be congratulating themselves for being right and nothing else. And nothing else. Oh, okay. Oh, I would um rather die. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for, yep. sure, for sure. Completely useless. Lemon, lemon. And last but certainly not least, we want to take a moment to thank all of you who have sent us an email or written us at our P.O. box. Obviously, we can't reply to most of them, but I promise we do read all of them, and many of them have made Eli cry. Like a lot of them. A lot. A lot. And that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep sending us those emails, tweets, and Facebook messages. You can find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. Before we lower the portcullis tonight, I want to remind everybody one last time that the book is available, but only the Kindle version so far. There will be a paperback version available really soon and an audiobook version available decidedly less soon. We will keep you posted as to when all the various formats become available. But the other ones are going to be more expensive, so you should just go ahead and get this one and help us run our way up the bestsellers list. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday, an even newer episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this show would be like one shoe dropping if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for making it so rewarding to keep putting these headphones on every day. I need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Illusions for making it so rewarding to take them off every night. I also want to thank Eli Bosnick for the sparse trickle of baby pics he posts on Facebook as though he's hoarding them for some reason. Like the bad guy in Mad Max with the water. Right, but God, dude, those cheeks, I need more of them. I also want to thank Sam from a Catholic hospital for providing this week's Farnsworth quote and all the other listeners who sent in clips and memories. Thank you so much for reminding us why we do what we do. Sorry if I didn't use yours. I just got way too many to stick into one show. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most dependable diploids, Lori, Aaron, Angie, Jordan, Daniela, Daniel, Dexter, Sonny, Shane, Jessica, Jenna, Darth Waffle, Pope Pirate, and Melanie. Lori, Aaron, Angie, Jordan, and Daniela, who are so hot stoves, warn their kids not to touch them. Daniel, Dexter, Sonny, and Shane, whose dicks have filled in more ovals than the desire to vote Trump out of office. And Jessica, Jenna, Darth Waffle, Pope Pirate, and Melanie, who are so badass cobras learn to fight at them, Kai. Together, these 14 ferociously feisty fighters of faith forked over a fine fragment of folding money for the next 400 episodes this week by giving us folding money. I already... I already said money. It kind of fucks up my formula. Anyway, you too can give us money. You can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but you just spend all your expendable income on Outbreak, a crisis of faith, how religion ruined our global pandemic, you can also help a ton by leaving a five-star review uh, for the book or the podcast, actually, and by telling a friend about the show. Or it's a book, actually. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media. Our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingadius.com. Oh, I had Obama with horn rim glasses. Get to the center of my Tootsie Pop. More than three, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Braggy. <laughs> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Warning, this podcast contains words that rhyme with sass, stitch, spit, and...
Smotherfucker. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Adam and Eve, ZipRecruiter, and by Opiates. Opiates, because otherwise Heath and Eli would rank the races. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hey y'all, this is Avedon, and I don't have a podcast to plug or a blog for you to read. I really just wanted to hear my voice on the show saying we did in fact evolve from Filthy Monkey Man. It's April 22nd. And it's In God We Trust Day. And no, we fucking don't. Yeah, I mean, not even <laughs> religious people do that. I'm No Illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Jared Kushner's New Jersey, How dare you? Cincinnati Red State and Redtown Blue State, this is The Skating Atheist. Oh, in this week's episode, the government finally takes notice of what a pastor does with his pee-pee. Jerry Falwell Jr. is a train wreck and I cannot <laughs> look away. And we'll polish off some very dusty awards. But first, the diatribe. So if your grandpa went out and smeared his shit all over the Slurpee machine, you feel like you owed the staff at that 7-Eleven an apology, even if you weren't like his primary caregiver or anything. It isn't your shit, wasn't you that applied it, wasn't your fault that he did it, but in some weird way, kind of represents your family, so you feel some weird tangential responsibility anyway. And that's how I feel about Richard Dawkins' latest Twitter meltdown. Now, for those of you who don't know, Richard Dawkins, author of the best-selling book that promotes atheism of all time, unless you count the Bible and the Quran, and probably still the best-known atheist in the world, fired off a tweet last week that compared being transgendered to being Rachel Dolezal, the white lady who pretended to be black and got accused of virtually every kind of fraud known to man. So here's the tweet, quote, in 2015, Rachel Dolezal, a white chapter president of NAACP, was vilified for identifying as black. Some men choose to identify as women, and some women choose to identify as men. You will be vilified if you deny that they literally are what they identify as. Discuss. And look, he's 102, so there might be a part of you that wants to talk him down gently and just explain the error in his perceptions, and, and, and that'd be fine if this wasn't the 800th time he had done something like this. Right? In 2013, he sent out a tweet about how few Nobel Prizes Muslims had, as though racism and the echoes of colonialism had nothing to do with that, and it was cultural superiority that explained it all. In 2015, he tweeted out something about how trans men are chromosomally women, but it's just semantics anyway. Hell, he sent out a tweet in 2014 where he ranked the rapes. And he's been on a tear lately with turfy bullshit, which is... A weird position after dismissing feminism for years because sexism in the West isn't as bad as it is in Saudi Arabia. He's way beyond benefit of the doubt territory. Of course, that hasn't stopped several of his most ardent fans from trying to excuse him with the same, like, the fucking he was just asking questions bullshit, a.k.a. the Joe Rogan defense. I mean, that's a weak-ass defense even when the person asked a question, which, to be clear, Dawkins didn't in that tweet. 
But regardless, when your question is whether somebody's identity is a fucking fraud, keep it to yourself. Or, or better yet, ask it in an appropriate forum. Right? Get your answer. Ask Google. I'm sure there are any number of websites that would be happy to explain to the goddamn biologist how biology works. Hell, I know several trans people that would patiently walk him through it if he was genuinely asking a fucking question. But you don't go to Twitter to genuinely ask a question like that. You go there to lob a fucking grenade. Now, now he did try to unlob it with a weak-ass apology where he said he didn't mean to disparage trans people, but it takes a lot of willful ignorance to pretend he didn't know what he was doing when he compared him to a woman who lied about her race because it was advantageous to her career. And the fact that he's already been embroiled in some low-level transphobia on Twitter leading up to this makes it pretty much impossible. His Twitter outbursts have already cost him plenty of respect in the atheist community. They've cost him plenty of speaking gigs, plenty of conference appearances, and this latest one also cost him an award for humanism. I guess the American Humanist Association started thinking it looked pretty bad for their highest honor to still be held by a person so readily willing to question the humanity of other people. Kind of the... The cardinal sin of humanism in so much as there is one. And in their statement, they specifically noted that pattern of behavior. I, I, I thought this quote summed it up perfectly. Quote, regrettably, Richard Dawkins has over the past several years accumulated a history of making statements that use the guise of scientific discourse to demean marginalized groups, an approach antithetical to humanist values. You know, and that strikes right at the heart of the issue. Some people want to give him a pass because he's been a great advocate for science in the past, but that's all the more reason to hold him to the highest possible standard. A lot of people still look to Dawkins to learn the science of an issue. And even if you're not outraged by this latest tweet, even if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you have to at least acknowledge that it smacks a gross ignorance of the science regarding transgenderism. And it also makes it all the more important for people in a position like mine to say something when they get the science so horribly wrong. So what's the lesson other than fuck Richard Dawkins transphobic bullshit? Well, one lesson is that ours needs to be a movement of ideas, not leaders. Dawkins rose to prominence in the movement by being right. And the less often he does that, the less clout he's afforded in our movement. Now, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, unfortunately. I'm sure we're going to lose some patrons over even the lightest and most deserving condemnation of the guy, but it's at least what most of us strive for. We want to be a movement of guiding principles, not guiding lights. And the quality of our leaders will be commensurate with our ability to do exactly that. Let the other guys do divinity and infallibility. We don't have room for it here. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the Tin Man and Scarecrow to Mike Cowardly Lion, Heath Enright, and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to look behind the curtain? I mean, I feel like if I was the Scarecrow, you would have let me start pushing brain pills by now, so... Well, yeah, and I'm not trying to find a heart. That's illogical. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had the guts to insist otherwise, I'd fuck up the bit. So instead, we're just going <laughs> to throw things over to our first sponsor this week, Adam and Eve. No, I went first last week. Fine, fine. Okay, so hey, here's what we're hey gonna... guys, oh, what are you doing? Hey Noah. Oh, hey Noah. Heath and I were just meeting for our weekly free stuff club. You have a free stuff club? Yep. Every week we see how much free stuff we can get and do sort of a show and tell at our meetings. Oh, well, that actually sounds kind of cool. Can I play? I I, I got these uh these free dinner mints the other day. Dinner mints, nice. Uh, Heath. Well, there was a new guy at the Lost and Found at the park, so 
Ta-da! Wow! Shoes! Nice! Right? Okay, okay, I feel like those are just some other dude's shoes. Not anymore, they're not. Yeah. Uh, what about um, you, Eli? What'd you get? Oh, I got free fuck stuff from adamandeve.com. Wait, what? How'd you get free fuck stuff from adamandeve.com? So, you know how when you use the code SCATHING at checkout on adamandeve.com, you can get almost any one item for 50% off? Of course. Well, when you do that, right now, Adam and Eve loads on the free stuff. You get a vibrator, a cock ring, and a lube sample, plus six free porn movies. Free porn and fuck stuff? Dude, that is so much better than these mints. It is. Once again, that's scathing, S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G, offer code scathing at checkout, adamandeve.com, to get 50% off almost any one item and 10 free gifts. I mean, you could put these shoes up your butt if you wanted. You C- could. Come on, man. What you could. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, we're going to do a little thought experiment. Ooh. So, if I yell, super soaker, super soaker, and then shoot Eli in the face with a real gun, <laughs> and he dies, I'm guilty of killing Eli with a real gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, I guess that's a pretty simple concept. Probably didn't need the thought experiment, but there it was. Seems like that would apply if I was a cop, too. <laughs> Even if Eli was very aggressively sitting in a car menacing me. <laughs> well, apparently it's not quite that simple because uh Eli's white. Right. Of course, this is all leading up to the tragic story of Dante Wright, who was shot and killed by police officer Kim Potter in Minnesota last week. Uh, guess what race they each are? Mm-hmm. Yep, you nailed it. You got mm-hmm. it just right. And the excuse we got from this white police officer was that she got confused between her taser and her gun. Okay, I see that. That's a pretty easy mistake to make. Uh, sorry, I just need a sip of my water here. Oh, dang, that's my microphone. Easy mistake. Right, Tried to sip yeah. out of my microphone. Left side, right side. You hurt yourself. Could have make it. Yeah. <laughs> so dry. So Potter was arrested. She's no longer a police officer, and she got charged with manslaughter. That being said... There's still a big swath of the country that feels like maybe her excuse is worth considering in some sense. And they don't mean, yes, this might be an accident, but regardless, cops at traffic stops don't need to have deadly weapons. They mean, whoops, cost of doing business, we need (laughs) cops, that's going to happen. And pretty much everyone in that swath is a white Christian guy, but not Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson, my friend. Stumbled his way into a semi-useful take on this. And semi was very generous. Pay (laughs) close attention. He descends right back into stupid real fast. You can easily miss it. According to Robertson, quote, there's just no comparison between a taser and a gun. How Potter made the difference by saying, I thought it was my taser. Apparently that was the end of the sentence. Um, (laughs) I think it ended with a tacit is beyond me, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Which, you know what? That's probably a safe assumption as the closer to most thoughts from (laughs) Pat Robertson. Yeah, that's fair. And that could have been the end of the point. But he continued. He should not have. But he continued. I'm pro-police, folks. We need their service. And they do a good job. But why don't they open their eyes to what the public relations are? They've got to stop this stuff. (laughs) 
Wait, wait, End quote. So, so he's worried about the murder of innocent people of color because it's a PR nightmare? Because it's hard to spin that. <laughs> At least he's easing himself into right. You don't want to shock yeah. yourself by changing all the way. At his age? Yeah. Oh, like going on a roller coaster. So the video of this moment was ridiculous. Robertson actually had a gun and a taser on the set so he, he could... Did. Hold them and demonstrate just how ridiculous it would be to confuse these two things. And yes, that would be ridiculous. But it's Pat Robertson, so he actually does get he totally does. For this. He yes, does. yes. He's about to make the point that they're so clearly different. And then he crosses his hands like he's in a bad action movie, and he <laughs> says, "Okay, I know you know cross and all that and left." comes right so it's hard to keep track of and then he gets help from his co-host he's like yep. hey terry i just got confused very clearly just now on camera will you pick these up don't cross them because that could that's how i got confused <laughs> you just pick them up regular don't cross them and like a fucking sesame street episode about manslaughter <laughs> she picks up each one and she holds up the taser and says this one is lighter <laughs> okay and, and look, I get human psychology. Look, in a state of panic, people mistake gas pedal and brakes to death, right? Even if they've been driving for decades, that happens all the time. But either police are allowed to panic or they're allowed to carry guns. Yep. That has mm. to be a one or the other kind of thing. Yeah, you mm. get one. Yep. yep. That's why we don't let me podcast with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> And in checking out the pastor's pee-pee news. Hmm, same, same joke as the intro. Uh, I am very proud of it. Very proud of it. Not maybe everyone. Some maybe someone missed it. Anyone's wanted everyone to get my pee-pee joke. <laughs> hey, podcast listener. Do you remember the Paycheck Protection Program loans? It was that program that was supposed to loan small businesses money so they didn't have to furlough or fire their staff. But then... Churches took literally billions of dollars of it, even though they don't do anything or pay taxes. And giving money to a church is literally the definition of an establishment clause violation. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Well, it turns out that there is too much you can steal from the government as a church. Really? It's just when you do it for your secular car sales business. Mm. Oh, yeah. See, that's when laws count. It's a rookie mistake. You don't do secular yeah. businesses. Well, especially if you're not white. And this dude isn't white. So, yeah. No, he is not. Well, yeah. double count now. Yeah. So, last month, federal investigators filed charges of wire fraud against D.C. Pastor Rudolph Brooks Jr., who allegedly filed a PPP loan on behalf of his defunct used car sales business for one and a half million dollars. What? Was what's happening in a used car sale? What business? kind of car? Oh, this is the Batmobile. This is the <laughs> car we have right here. Yeah, and investigators seized over two point two million dollars from his various bank accounts, as well as his personal Tesla Model Three. Okay, <laughs> they took his Model Three. That's a fun repo. Like once you get the key card. You can just tell it to drive away on its own. <laughs> like this sad repo moment. You can have it play itself out of the driveway with like Michigan J Frog music. You can you can have it keep coming back, circling back to the house every so often, playing I fought the law. Like there's just so much fun you can <laughs> so have. So many with that. possibilities. Yeah. So as of this recording, Brooks's church has yet to acknowledge that their pastor cheated the government out of a couple million dollars and is facing twenty years in prison. But 
as Hemet Mehta over at the Friendly Atheist blog brought to our attention, we did get a fantastic statement from the Tesla fan site, Tesla Rati, that said, quote, while accelerating the transition to sustainable energy is undoubtedly the main interest of Tesla, buying an all-electric car through a fraudulent manner of actions is not ideal for helping the environment. Well, there's and that. Cool. There's that. And in Rise and Fallwell news, fantastic. the rise and fall of Jerry Falwell Jr. has been an absolute delight. I mean, really, just the fall. Well, but the yeah. rise was big enough <laughs> to make the fall like just keep going so much forever. Look, I know you're not supposed to enjoy watching the misfortune of others, but um, that's a stupid rule, right? Bad things <laughs> happening to bad people. It's one of the few sources of pure joy in this world. You're not taking that away from me. Raindrops, roses, and Schadenfreude. It's in the song. <laughs> and the latest example with Falwell came last week when Liberty University decided to sue him for $10 million, which is pretty much exactly the amount of money they still have not paid him in severance that he's supposed to get. Awesome. Yeah, because when you subtract the one from the other, you have his worth. So that sounds fair. <laughs> yeah, that's no, right. makes sense. <laughs> so let's take a stroll down memory lane and remember some of that fall. Oh, yeah. That includes Jerry's forced resignation from the university last year after he posted a picture of himself standing next to not his wife, both with their pants unzipped and Falwell holding a glass of wine. But according to him, he was actually holding a glass of water with wine tinted food coloring that he bought as a prop for his Instagram photo session yeah. that we were looking at. That was his version of the story. <laughs> He lives in such a ridiculous universe that he thought fake wine alibi would put him in the clear for that. And look, I know we talk about it every time we add new deliciousness to this saga, but I can't believe that this is what brought him down. This is the guy who instituted the policy of kicking kids out of his school for being sexually assaulted, and he went down for not top-buttoning in the first degree. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's just... <laughs> Yeah. <gasps> All right, a little further down memory lane, another part of his epic fall from grace was Jerry literally falling down the stairs after drinking too much burgundy food coloring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe I'm not supposed to enjoy that. It might be an alcohol addiction. I get it. Believe me, I get that part. <laughs> but when a bigot falls down the stairs of his mansion that was paid for with legalized bigot money from a legalized bigot university? I fucking smile. That happened. That's my lived experience. I'm speaking <laughs> my truth. I smile. That's fun for well, us. Well, sure. Like, just when you thought the story couldn't be more ironic, the man fell poorly. That yeah, really, kidding? really happened. <laughs> also, it came out that Falwell's wife, Becky, was fucking a pool boy for years <laughs> yep. while Jerry watched from the corner of the room. Which, okay, that's great for them if they're all into it. Fantastic. Yeah. Enjoy. Neighborly. But most importantly, Becky spells her name with an I. So fuck your face. <laughs> fuck your face. Kind of like she made a Liberty University student do after crawling into bed with him unexpectedly. <laughs> that also happened with Becky. Oh, uh, by the way, they're all bigots. Did I mention that? Everybody's a bigot in the story. Jerry, mm. Becky, the university, everybody's a bigot. And now we have a bad guy fight. The university is suing Jerry for breach of contract, misleading the school board while setting up that contract, and lying about his alcohol problem. 
Apparently, the entire negotiation was Falwell lying his way into a better severance package that he knew he was going to need. I mean, look, I don't want to take Jerry Falwell's side, but lying's part of the job requirement, okay? Liberty University teaches that cavemen rode dinosaurs. (laughs) Lying's in there. Yeah, put that on your resume as a skill or something, yeah. (laughs) But it turns out Falwell was... Absolutely right. He's going to need pretty much exactly that severance package to pay for the lawsuit about how he lied in order to get that severance package. (laughs) And let's just remember the context here. Jerry Falwell Jr. made it possible for the protagonist in the story to be Liberty University. Yeah. I mean, just barely the protagonist, but I think (laughs) the protagonist here for this part. I'm rooting for everybody to lose somehow. Yeah. I don't know how that works. That needs to be a thing that judges can do. They're just like, no, you know what? You all owe me $10 million. I don't know. <laughs> the state will be collecting $10 million from each of you. All right. And on that note, we're going to pause for a quick break from a word from our second sponsor this week, ZipRecruiter. Hi. Welcome to Typical Hiring Agency. How can I help you today? Yeah. I'm looking for some qualified candidates for a position I'm trying to fill. Oh, well, look no further. Here you go. This is, uh, this is a phone book from 1975. Oh, no, common mistake. That is our candidates for your job. That will be $800. Sorry. Uh, we take um, cash. No, no, no. Sorry. It's very clearly a phone book. You didn't even bother to change the cover. You just crossed out phone book and you wrote people you might want to hire in Sharpie on it. So. Mm, I mean, there's probably someone you want to hire in there, though. So, you know, get calling, no, no, right? Nope, nope. I want you to find the right people for my job and make hiring easier for me. Oh, mm-hmm. I understand what you want. Great. You want ZipRecruiter.com. Oh, what's uh, ZipRecruiter.com? When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Wow, really? Really. So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options or, you know, a phone book, ZipRecruiter finds out what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. Once again, remember to go to this unique place, ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing, S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, thanks. I think I'm going to go with ZipRecruiter. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Here at Typical Hiring Agency, we can eliminate some candidates for you. Oh, you can? Sure. Okay. Okay, you tore the phone book in half. Yes, I did. That'll be $1,600. Okay. And in Wonkity Paul news, conspiracy theorist, radio host, and C-minus child trafficking stopper Alex Jones has a new theory about the origins of COVID that's been making its way around the Internet this week. Turns out COVID is all a ploy to give your children a vaccine that will damage their brains. (laughs) Okay, but why would he be against growing his listener base? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> and why would we be for it? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, here's the story. So Bill Hicks gets super into conspiracy theories in the late 90s, right? But he's too famous for people to take him seriously because he's a comedian. So he fakes his death. Eli, and he, Eli, Eli, why won't you stick to the parts you can prove? Like, fine. 
So this week, Alex Jones' <laughs> bombshell reporting is about a report out of Johns Hopkins from 2017 that posits a hypothetical scenario in which a fictional disease called SPARS causes a global pandemic that lasts three years, which is, of course, stone-cold proof that the evil folks running the world over at the ninth-ranked university in the United States <laughs> published their evil plan three years before enacting it. It's a perfect crime. What? Definitely. Conspiracy theorists are so weirdly sure that we're going to hide clues in public places like our logos and our published <laughs> papers. Why would we do that? Yeah. So, for the record, for those of you wondering, the actual purpose of this report was to equip public health communicators in case of a pandemic. Something which... I think we can all agree we probably needed a little bit more practice. <laughs> Maybe a section where you don't let the president say the virus will be gone by fall. I'm spitballing, people. Yeah. I'm spitballing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but in fairness, writing a pandemic response plan that would deal with the problem of Donald Trump somehow would make you look like a fucking crazy person, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, sorry, I'm listening to all these things. Chapter 33 is next. What to do when the President of the United States proposes sunshine and bleach inside the body <laughs> to help with COVID. Yep, fair enough, fair. Anyways, Jones sees through that weak defense and has taken notice that especially one of the hypothetical scenarios proposed in this report is that a group of parents come forward to say that the vaccine gave their kids brain damage because it caused encephalitis in early stage trials in cows. But, and Alex Jones read that <laughs> hypothetical and he was like, that's right. Their plan is to give babies encephalitis with the COVID vaccine. <laughs> Cow encephalitis. <laughs> <no less. laughs> Weird. Again, as Noah pointed out that they wrote it down and that it's still on their website, but I caught him. I caught him. I'm Bill Hicks. Okay. <laughs> All right. The kids are having seizures from the encephalitis. And now we wait. Let's just hope Alex Jones doesn't... Damn it! Okay, why did we put it on the website? And what does he think Johns Hopkins is going to do with all these brain-damaged kids once they have them? Like, what? I feel like at the end of every one of his things, he has to explain the end game, right? That would make it worthwhile. I think it's just wait. <laughs> oh, okay. And finally tonight, in Frank's Red Mild News... Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and Tim YouTube are frantically exploiting their last few moments at the top of the food chain quick before they're supplanted by the rise of Mike Lindell's ambitious social media startup, Vocal. Or, okay, no. No? Okay, Vocal. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no, oh, sorry, that was taken to shit. Yep. Okay, uh, Frank. Fucking Dave. Yeah, Frank. yeah, yeah. Dave. The name they ultimately landed on for the fucking my pillow guys free speech centric conspiracy theory accepting right wing embracing Twitter alternative ended up being Frank because everybody else's idea was taken and Frank refused to offer up any other useful suggestions. So I guess they go with FrankSpeech.com. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's what they will be going with. Whenever they get the fucking thing working. <laughs> checking, checking. Still down. Still down with a missing image on his yeah. face page. It's down. There, there's a static thing that says this is a massive success. Yes. Literally. Yes. And most importantly, my friends, 
there is a non-live Z video inside a file playing with a caption that says it's live, which is impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Lindell's site was scheduled to go live at 8 a.m. Central Time this past Monday, and if a 502 error can be considered live, then it met that goal. <laughs> but Lindell's tech team sprung into action, and within eight minutes they had corrected that problem so people could sign in and get a different error, this time a 500 internal server error, but... Oh, all right. They're, but, they're, they're trending in the right direction. It's eventually it's a zero error, and yeah. that's down. Well, so, but a brief eight minutes after that, though, they were able to get it under control so that eager conspiracy theorists could at least enter their sign-up information and then be presented with an error screen. Yeah. I feel like their target audience is terrified of signing up for stuff. Right. So, like, that's got to be a, yeah. a glitch there. And unless you think it was a simple uh, incompetence type thing that led to this series of internal server errors, Mike wants you to know that it was actually an attack from outside, a cyber one. And while he offered no details on who the culprit was or how he knew it was a cyber attack or why it wasn't manifesting in any way that previously known cyber attacks have ever it manifested. It happened cyberly, <laughs> Noah. It happened cyberly. But he did assure us that the attack was, quote, Probably the biggest ever, end quote, adding, quote, what? I don't know if it was bots or what, end quote. It was That's, what, buddy? To be fair, he does not know if it was bots or what. Okay. It was what? Mike, take it from us. The only way robots are attacking your website is if the singularity is achieved and the mecha consciousness <laughs> is embarrassed by your website's existence. Yeah, but... If all the data in the world is silencing you right now, check out frankspeech.com. <laughs> so, yeah, so as soon as they can figure out a few minor details, like, um, you know, how to keep a website online for consecutive minutes and why all the words <laughs> keep printing over the top of each other, they're, <laughs> they're going to come for Twitter with a website that isn't afraid to let people say what they think, even if what they think offends a few snowflake liberal cucks. So long as it doesn't also offend snowflake conservative kooks. You see, during an interview with Eric Metaxas, Lindell explained that his new free speech themed social media platform would have far more restrictions on free speech than, I don't know, any social media platform you could name. Interesting. Quote, people ask me, you're going to let everything go? Porn? Swearing? Everything? And I said, absolutely not. We have a thing we found in the Constitution and our founding fathers that defined what free speech is. He adds, quote, you're not going to be able to swear. There will be four words for sure you can't say. You can't say the C word, the N word, the F word, and you can't use God's name in vain. End quote. <laughs> okay. But here's what's crazy. You can't say the N word probably lost him a significant percentage of the people who were going to sign up. Yeah, actually. <laughs> that was the brand of this thing, basically. Yeah. It was like, oh, then I'll let you say the N-word on Twitter. Come on over to frankspeech.com. Wow. He also, and this was an interesting one, he also added that his site would prohibit defamation. Really? You know, after all, bearing false witness is a violation of the Ninth Commandment. So you, sure. know, you, you couldn't go on his website and accuse Joe Biden of having won a fair election, for example. That <laughs> That could be removed. Okay. So what we have now is a website that's basically a fun quiz about Mike Lindell's worldview, right? You, yeah. you can be on and be like, right. okay, can I type trees exist? 
Okay, yes, I can. What about fossils? No, see, I just started the word fossils. <laughs> All right. Interesting. <laughs> that was the F word he meant. Yeah. Fossils. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, Mike Lindell went and made his own Twitter with a prohibition on beer and hookers, and it'll no doubt take its place atop the social media hierarchy just as soon as their moral advisory board comes to a conclusion on the ethical status of OMG, and <laughs> and they figure out how to let multiple people sign up at the same time. They're going to get there. You got the 500 errors, man. You said it's TikTok. They, they said it's a WordPress plugin, but I don't know where I'm supposed to plug it in. <laughs> All right, so while they sort that out, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. You can't say fossil. And when we come back, the red carpet reporters are going to regret asking Eli who he's wearing. John Bonet. <laughs> well, it's award show season once again, and it's never mattered less than it matters right now. In a year when virtually no movies came out, Broadway was shut down, and nobody went anywhere recreationally without being an asshole, there's not much art to bestow awards on. But if you happen to bestow awards on assholery, it's been a bumper fucking crop. So it's time for a long overdue <laughs> return of the Pentagrammy. <laughs> you hear that, movies? Some of us saw a boom this year. A <laughs> yeah. boom. Yeah, 2020 was the 82 Lafitte Rothschild. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Pentagrammys are an annual award that we started giving out way back in 2014 and then kind of forgot about, and then we remembered it again, so we're doing it again. Fellas, are you ready to do this shit, or is one of you guys going to go all Warren Beatty on me? <laughs> I mean, if by that you mean star in the deeply unappreciated 1991 film Bugsy, then yes. Yeah. Then yes. <laughs> and if you mean try to snub the black community and the LGBT community at the same time, then yes, I'm ready for the best of 2020 religion. Yeah. <laughs> well done. All right. So for those of you guys who don't remember, we just list nominees in this thing since actually winning awards has been meaningless ever since they gave Forrest Gump best picture in 94. Thank you. That was ridiculous. <laughs> it, there was, it wasn't even second place. No, it I wasn't like even fourth. Yeah. They were, yeah, close. yeah. But anyway, but we're going to open up with a damn competitive category from 2020 best religious news item. Ooh. All right. Excellent. So, against all odds, I'm going with a Supreme Court ruling what? from 2020. Really? Bostock v. Clayton County. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Despite the hijacking of our nation's highest court by the Christian right, that's going to last for decades, should have voted for Hillary Clinton, we actually got one little shred of reason from this one. The court ruled that employment discrimination based on sexual orientation is illegal. But not because, you know, fucking obviously or basic ethics, that would have been nice. Instead, it happened when conservative justices got trapped by basic logic. The majority opinion actually came from Neil Gorsuch, who was forced to admit that it's literally impossible to discriminate based on sexual orientation without discriminating based on gender at the same time. And we do have rules about gender discrimination. Yeah, and if you, like me, are amazed that they didn't just overturn gender discrimination laws, (laughs) you remember how much dick 2020 sucked. (sighs) Yeah. Also worth noting, that was a 6-3 to ruling from June. That was in June, which was back before... Notorious RBG got replaced by a Margaret Atwood villain. Yeah. So even now, we still have five justices out of nine who agree that you technically have to let words have meanings 
sometimes. Well, I wouldn't go that far, Heath. Let's yeah, right. you have to let those words have that meaning. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. But just like any piece of good news from 2020, you guys basically predicted it already. You know, calm the fuck down. It was also <laughs> bad news. The end of that decision said, also, P.S., religion gets time out on laws if they want. So any employer that decides they're a Christian widget company can be legal bigots as much as they want. I hate to bring down the mood, but this is best of 2020. We're yeah. going to take what we can get. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. I overstated it. I, they, they agreed to let those words have that meaning selectively. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes, maybe. Oh, and for my nomination, I'm going to go with Donald Trump. Losing the presidential election. Mm. Say those words again, but slower. <laughs> Losing the presidential <laughs> election. Oh, can we do a quick ASMR bit where you say <laughs> whisper it? And I know what you're thinking, podcast listener. Hey, Eli, that's cheating. That's not a religious news item. Well, thanks to a cavalcade of assholes that we cover on this program, yes, the fuck it was. From Jerry Falwell to Franklin Graham, dozens of self-proclaimed prophets had to explain to an audience of millions that their internet during their Zoom call with the God of the Universe must have gotten a little shaky. Okay, but that's actually a much better excuse than the one most of them went with, which was, I'm pretty sure the God of the Universe got foiled by Hugo Chavez and his invisible Python <laughs> code. Well, and even that's better than what a lot of them went with, which was, no, no, he did win. He is president. La, la, la. I can't hear you. March 4th, April 17th, <laughs> popular too. June yeah. 23rd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, whether it was Cat Care explaining that by win in a landslide, she meant sometimes during landslides things move, <laughs> or that time that Paula White jerked off God so vociferously that it merited several techno remixes, the spokesmen and women for God had to back up faster than Tony Spell when he sees a counter-protester <laughs> in his rearview mirror. And that, my friends, is why Donald Trump losing the election is the best religious news item of 2020. All right, well, I'm going to go with something that already got a bit of a mention on this episode. My nominee for best religious news item is the rejected telenovela plotline that wound up with Jerry Falwell Jr. drunkenly stumbling <laughs> his way out of his inheritance with his pants down and a profusely bleeding open head wound. Right? Like, so, like, we've seen a lot of religious leaders fall from grace, but I think this is the first time we've seen one take, like, a literal and metaphorical head down a flight of stairs along the way. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, if I stumble upon a box of 10 used-up monkey paws in my basement later today, these past <laughs> few months are going to make a ton more sense. <laughs> and those two-and-a-half footless monkeys you'll have, I mean, they're not happy about the feet, but I think they get it. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Injury, right? Sure. <laughs> So just a quick reminder, right around the same time that several ex-employees of Liberty University were publicly wondering whether they were running a college or some kind of real estate con, rumors started emerging that Jerry Falwell was paying a sexy pool boy to fuck his wife, or rather confirmation started emerging of those rumors. <laughs> and that's when we decided to go out on his own terms. I, I guess so. he, he tweeted out the least risque picture to ever get somebody fired, and that got him fired, or rather he got bought out in an obscene payoff for his incompetence, which is, of course, now under question. And as much as that seems like better than he deserves, he sure as hell didn't feel that way himself 
which is why we got stories a week or so later about him locking his wife out of the house and then falling down the stairs and just laying there all drunk and bloody because the door was locked and she couldn't get in <laughs> until she had to call the cops and have them break in. Like, our job will never be that easy again, and it never should be. Nope. Nope. <laughs> And now he's getting sued. Yeah. Oh, no, it gets, it gets it's even so good. better. I know. Like, I know we're talking about this again, but let's just, this is worth repeating like Trump losing. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good what's happening to him. Also, one other thing about that fall, as we reported at the time, when his wife called 911 to get him medical help, the lady on the phone was like, has your husband been drinking? And Falwell's wife got all indignant. Yep. She's like, ah, can I speak to your manager? I don't see how that's relevant. <laughs> the bottom of the stairs and we need an ambulance that's all you need to know <laughs> and, and on that note we're going to move on to our second category this one goes to the religious figure who did the most to promote atheism in 2020 uh, previous nominees include Antonin Scalia, Ken Ham and Kirk Cameron so who's going to join that pantheon this year guys Ooh, alright I'll start us off with an easy one I'm going to nominate Kenneth Copeland nice that's awesome. yes whether it was giving an interview to Inside Edition that makes Charlie Sheen look like a master of public relations or doubling down on that interview by calling public airplanes a tube full of demons, Kenneth Copeland is God's worst press agent. Oh, I feel like we should just add also looks like Kenneth Copeland to that list, right? Yep, we, that is absolutely, that's major that's factor. List. Yes. <laughs> but I would argue that he took his insanity to new levels in 2020, attempting and failing to cure COVID no less than five times on his television show. He also continued looking like Kenneth yep, Copeland. Yeah, that, yep, that too. Yeah. First, he tried to fix the problem with a hand so oily it could cure Copeland's followers through a television screen. Then he tried blowing it away, and more recently, he's just declared his congregation to be totally free of symptoms. Yep. And let's not forget his reaction to Eli's best news item of the year. <laughs> Copeland said, they're declaring Joe Biden president? And then he said, ha! Ha 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 until he ran out of permutations and combinations of that one syllable <laughs> and he had to stop yeah. 20 minutes later. You know how we have stings on this show for like, a man wrote the Bible, the horse was smart, that stuff? We need the clip of him going, ha, 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 every time we report on Jerry Falwell's fall from grace. <laughs> that needs to be our new Jerry Falwell report. It's too long. It won't work. Yeah. It's in my heart. That, that's what we need. So, yeah, I'm going to toss my nomination out to Kenny Copes for spending the entire year explaining to the Stennies that God knows karate and he'll happily take <laughs> it outside with all of you. Oh, I just want to see a cut to Copeland after all those ha's happened and it just fizzled out. He's in a room by himself, just like, ha, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to go with Donald Trump because technically they have to count him. Yeah. Look, right, I, I don't believe for a fucking second that Donald Trump is religious. I've said it before. He is an atheist to whatever degree he's able to admit that he himself is not a god, but that doesn't matter. We didn't get Obama, so we're not stuck with Trump. He claims <laughs> Christianity, so Christians have to take him. Yeah. I'm claiming Obama, by the way. I, I, I saw that Mark Marin thing. That's, Absolutely. He's, yeah. he's atheist. This is the religious equivalent of fighting over the chance to pick me first for Dodge ball. It's just like, why, yes, I did have an asthma attack on the way out here. Oh, this in my pocket? Just a doctor's note from my mother that says I'm susceptible to colds and therefore aren't allowed to swim. Tee-hee! <laughs> 
Were you like a Southern Belle person in I high was. School? I was Blanche Dubois just now. Yeah, yeah, okay. No. <laughs> so now, of course, one could argue the person whose religiosity is so clearly transactional and insincere can't really make religion look bad, right? After all, whatever he does just reflects what a person who only pretends to their religion is. So if anything, the faults of a crino only reinforce the narrative that, like, religion makes you better. <laughs> yeah, the army of fake Scotsman Christian Nazis throughout history is on their side. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But so that fart of an argument can be fanned away by all the survey stories and studies that show how readily Christians embrace this motherfucker regardless. Right? So, in other words, his exposure of their hypocrisy shows that their morality was every bit as transactional as his religiosity. And eight years of podcasting have nothing on that shit. <laughs> I mean... Not nothing. Trump doesn't have the Carl Pogapega corner. Okay, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's Melania voice characters. <laughs> okay, so normally the religion person who makes atheism look the best is going to be a cishet white guy from the American Christian right. That's true. They're, they're the Meryl Streep of making us look good. But I'm going to drop in a curveball here and go with Ben Shapiro, a cishet white guy from the American Judeo-Christian right. See, see, <laughs> diversity, the Oscars. It's not yeah. that hard. We're already way more diverse than the Oscars just now. Yeah. Yes. So Ben Shapiro is Jewish, but he is a model conservative Christian yeah. in practice. Yeah, he and is. You might remember him from producing a pro-gun movie about a school shooting in 2020 called Run, Hide, Fight. You might also remember him from his famous quote from last year, there's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in, in this house. That was when he spent an entire episode of his show being outraged about Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's big 2020 release, WAP, or Wet Ass Pussy. We got to hear Ben Shapiro perform that song, which was a fantastic free ad for not being religious. Oh, uh, he did it Telly Savala style. It was amazing. <laughs> You hear that, kids? Give up your atheism, and you, too, can end up reading rap lyrics in your serious big boy voice for millions of people. <laughs> and then his wife told him mm -hmm. that a wet vagina is... Yep. These I knew you would get it in there! Proudly, I knew you would get it in there! Proudly tweeted that. He tweeted that piece of information. My wife's a doctor, and according to the doctor, she's a doctor of medicine. A wet <laughs> vagina is a disease, actually, technically. Moral of the story... If your team is fighting against Team Dry Vagina, you're winning <laughs> yep. on a very important level. We're yeah. winning on a very, very important level because of vaginal level. All right. So we're more than halfway through, and that's going to bring us to our widest category, Biggest Asshole. It is the only category with a two-time nominee, that would be Muslim God, and he's joined by such scathing atheist mainstays as Pat Robertson and Gordon Klingenschmidt. So, Heath, who's joining their ranks this year? Christian pillow magnate Mike Lindell. Uh, oh, great call. And he's done so much extra stuff in 2021. He might get this again, but he gets the nomination without any of that, just his 2020 stuff. First, he sponsored and appeared in the Eric Metaxas Christmas in New York special. Lindell had a cameo in the form of an infomercial. He, he came out on stage and told everyone about a brand new towel technology that it just removes moisture crazy. that they invented at my pillow. 
And then he gave a promo code for Christian pillows and towels as part of, again, an infomercial during a live theater performance. Yeah. On Broadway. I know you guys didn't like that, but I think more live theater needs to start doing that, right? Just like, I'm not giving up my shot glasses made by Moibe's Fine Glass <laughs> Kitchenware. Moibe's, it's what America means to me. <laughs> and uh Lindell also helped out with the pandemic. Back in August of 2020, Lindell brokered a meeting between Donald Trump and a, quote, pharmaceutical company in order to make sure everyone took full advantage of a new cure for COVID called oleandrin. That was a botanical extract from a literal bush of poison called oleander. <laughs> it did not cure COVID, by the way. Well, no, you're just not taking enough. You take enough poison and it does cure COVID. <laughs> it does cure COVID. COVID will die. <laughs> And, of course, Lindell spent most of the latter part of 2020 campaigning for Donald Trump's re-election and then campaigning against Donald Trump's de-election at the very end of the year. That includes the production of a movie called Absolute Proof that we had to watch about votes being stolen by Hugo Chavez and then sent to the Germany Internet for tampering <laughs> and then sent back to the America Internet on I, I think Internet Airplane. <laughs> Taking a great circle route. <laughs> right, yeah, and the the new doctored <laughs> digital ballots had Trump's name scratched out and Biden's name written in the margin. Did cyberly, cyberly. digitally. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a covert meeting with Trump that somehow involved Lindell doing his best spy walk into the White House and <laughs> calling <laughs> Trump on two phones at the same time because yeah, he wanted to be that. spyish. <laughs> Oh, God. He is he is already hard at work trying to earn a, a two for a tie a la. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> now I wrote a whole goddamn book full of worthy nominees for this one last year. But, but the one that really stands out to me here is Jim Baker. Okay, look, virtually every living religious leader that the average American could name has blood on his hands in the wake of the pandemic. Yep. You know, on the paper cut that might need a Band-Aid into the scale, you got the Pope blaming COVID on God being mad at us over global warming. But on the gushing Jerry Falwell on a bender geyser end of the scale, you have Jim Baker. Yeah, turns out the crime he is good at getting away with is murder. Yeah. Everybody is well, a manslaughter. I guess, yeah. So, first of all, I should point out what he did right. Unlike a lot of religious leaders, Baker did not try to pretend that the pandemic didn't exist or that loving Jesus would be sufficient protection against it. And that honestly put him ahead of a lot of people in this line of work, right? He wasn't above pretending it was a Chinese invention intentionally unleashed upon America to fuck up Trump's second term, but at least he admitted that there was a deadly pandemic on. Of course, he did not do this from a concern for the health and safety of his audience so much as the exact opposite of that. See, if there was no deadly pandemic, he couldn't sell you his colloidal silver COVID-curing panacea. Ridiculous. <sighs> a move so startlingly evil that even the U.S. government did something yeah. about it, people. <laughs> and he looks like a sales rep for Iocane powder, which I guess is good. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, so just a quick reminder, early on in the pandemic, Baker was hit with at least two different cease and desist orders from at least two different attorneys general ordering him to stop telling people that his snake oidal would cure COVID. So, <laughs> so in oidal. response, he started selling seeds that he said you could use to grow your own panacea that would cure COVID. Or like he said, like as close to that as his lawyers thought he could get away with anyway. This is a, a silver bulb. You just put it yeah. in the ground. <laughs> 
Tell me where you buried it. Yeah, so I teased him just a bit in one of my previous mentions, but for my nominee, I'm going to go with Pastor Tony Spell. Good one, dude. Good one. Yes, my friends, way back in the halcyon days of Tiger King and stay-at-home orders, Pastor Tony Spell was the first major public figure to draw the line at doing literally anything to stop people from dying. First, despite being in theocracy-friendly Louisiana, Spell behaved in a manner so publicly dangerous that even Baton Rouge PD had to come arrest him. Charges were swiftly dropped for reasons, and Spell returned back to his killing spree in a manner that would have made the son of Sam ask him to tone it down a bit. Yet the motherfucker didn't even have the decency to lie about, like, sneeze-killing drones like that asshole in Tampa. Yep. (laughs) Now, it was around this time that he managed to get himself into actual trouble by trying to back a bus full of plague spreaders into a counter-protester outside of his church, a fit of pique that he is still dealing with the legal fallout from. And then, finally, as the first set of stimulus checks arrived, he issued the hashtag Pastor Tony Spell Stimulus Challenge, which I'm proud to say our very own Heath Enright and, of course, our podcast listeners, filled with gay porn and the challenge was quickly abandoned. <laughs> okay, I thought my posts were both stimulating and challenging. I thought they were perfect for that. No reason to abandon yeah. Tony felt the same way. <laughs> All right. And finally, we're going to turn to the category that's a little more serious, or at least theoretically could be and one that third is, of us did the yeah, <laughs> right, yeah exactly and that would be atheist of the year past nominees include oof. <laughs> oh lots of people who turned out to be assholes upon further inspections but also haven't met a who, who yeah. Should, yeah haven't got even more awesome in the intervening seven years somehow he published a new york times crossword he went on jeopardy, yeah. jeopardy. oh yeah yeah no kicked ass but eli your past nominees are literally sam harris and peter bogosian yikes cool. yeah yeah that was 2013 and 2014 respectively so who's gonna join that story richard Ooh. dawkins <laughs> Okay, well, now i got to keep the tradition alive. So based on my past nominees, I'm going to go with atheist thought leader, Dr. James Lindsay. (laughs) The doctor of uh, something? Math. Math? (laughs) Who's that, you ask, podcast listener? Yes, you must be there when he's testifying about a law for no reason. Is it a law about math? It is not a law about math, no. Okay. He went from guy who was kind of good at math to COVID conspiracy theorist whose company is owned by a Christian dominionist and got retweeted by Donald Trump. But, but my friends, in honor of passing 200,000 Twitter followers... He posted a video of himself <laughs> fighting invisible ninjas with axes. And I challenge anyone to tell me an atheist who has made me anywhere close to as happy as that video makes me in 2020, the year of our Did Lord. Did you have a kid that year? Still. Still, he's been right. <laughs> All right. So, okay, wait, this is fucking weird. I had a totally different thing in my notes, but. That's been replaced by the words Michael Marshall, damn it, along with a compromising photograph of me and two-time world bowling champion Bill O'Neill with he has a family and letters cut out from different magazines. Mm. So I, I guess I'm, I'm nominating Marsh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> but, okay, so to be fair, though, 
He's the right atheist to nominate because never in our collective lifetimes has skepticism mattered more than it did in 2020. And we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the people who have helped us to develop the proper tools to confront all the vaccine hesitancy, the woo peddling, and the gross misunderstandings of the scientific method that have plagued us throughout this entire plague. And here we are recording this two days after my reluctant Trump-loving fucking reality-denying father-in-law got his second dose of the Moderna a vaccine and i'm thinking the most valuable lessons i've learned from any skeptic is the patience it took to make it through all the